Pod Morton would like to thank Original Cinematic for sponsoring this week's episode. Original Cinematic is an independent production company that has made it their mission to create, produce, and promote films that are inclusive, honor women, promote the LGBTQIA community, and provide prominent positions and roles to POC actors and filmmakers, and promote the films of marginalized and underrepresented populations. These are all things that are extremely important to our podcast as well. Original Cinematic is currently accepting scripts and treatments. Both William and Dina Rush are also available via email or Zoom to discuss writing and provide input and resources to all aspiring writers free of charge. Their information will be made available in the show notes. Original Cinematic has multiple exciting projects on the horizon. Their next film, Immersion, is slated for release in early 2024. Upcoming films Fetish, Sweetener, and Run and their documentary Drag, the most targeted art form, are anticipated for 2024 releases as well. Their new award-winning film Group is currently on the festival circuit, and very generously, Original Cinematic will be providing a link for our patrons to screen the film on Zoom. It is truly an honor to partner with Original Cinematic, and we can't thank them enough for their contribution to our show. And now, back to our regularly scheduled program. Salutations! Welcome to Pod Mortem. I'm Travis Hunter, joined as always by my co-host, my sister, and my brother-in-law. Hi, I'm Renee Hunter Vasquez. Hi, I'm John Paul Vasquez. This week, we're broadcasting live from 99 Oak Street, discussing the 1985 supernatural horror film *Fright Night*. This film was written and directed by Tom Holland. Intended as a love letter to the definitive films of the genre, *Fright Night* offers classic horror thrills with a flair of its contemporary era. With clear reverence for the vampire myth, committed performances from its cast, impressive special effects, and makeup work, this film would not only gain box office success and praise from critics, but it would also establish Holland as a director, spawn a sequel, a remake, multimedia spin-offs, and cement itself in the hearts of many horror fans as a cult classic. This film was recommended to us by friends of the show, Kent Morton, George Rosas, Alan Johnston, Beth Bauer, Megan M., Jasmine, Cookie, Smelly Poo Poo Head, Josh Damien, Serafina, and Bayjay. We'd like to thank each and every one of them for their continued support of the show, as well as this suggestion. So, Fright Night, what were your first impressions on the film? So I had thought that I had seen this at least once. I had never seen this movie. Ever? Um, no. And I, I, the more I watched it, I was like, I don't know what any of this is. I know the poster for it but that's about it mm -hmm. the poster's great no yeah true um i did enjoy the movie it's it's a really good movie um i'm sure if i watched this when it first came out it might have meant a little more um i got a lot of good things to say about the movie but the movie's a little too long for me may i don't know if it's maybe a, a pacing issue or but it um i don't know what it just didn't it didn't not that it didn't grab me but it didn't hold me 
So I was, you know what I mean? I was like, oh, this is cool because there's a, the performances are great. The mm -hmm. effects, everything is like, there's a lot of good shit in this movie. I just don't know what it is uh, that I didn't, I wasn't able to fully, I guess, I don't, I don't know why it's hard to explain because everything's there and I should love every single bit of it. But there's just something that's missing for me. I totally get what you're saying because um, I'd never seen this before either. Mm -hmm. But the way that, I mean, that list of recommendations, mm -hmm. it's so loved. Yeah. And it's Chris Sarandon. I was stoked. Yeah. And maybe that's part of it because I liked it, but I didn't love it. And so maybe I did go in with my expectations too high. And I will agree that maybe it's just a pacing thing. Well, it may be a little more than that because there's a couple <laughs> of things narratively that I'm like, that was a choice. Yeah. Um, I did read that Tom Holland allowed actors to have input on the story and on their characters. And there are a couple of things that you can really feel mm -hmm. um, were changed or added or whatever. And I know that we'll get into it, but that does hurt it a little bit because... I don't want to say like why, but um, <laughs> we'll, we'll get into that. But I, I like it. I think that it's a lot of fun. The performances, specifically the performance of one character mm -hmm. is so, it's great. It's like eighties yeah. top shelf, you know, it, it's, it's fantastic. The effects are really great. The makeup's fantastic, but there is just, I, it's something like you said holding me back from just being completely in love with it mm -hmm. and that could be in part my own expectation and I did watch it twice and I did like it a little bit better the second time but I'm still not in love and I just really wanted to be in love yeah. I, I will say also um, I don't I don't know if this is controversial or not <laughs> I don't like our protagonist oh no I, yeah. I don't yeah. I, I like hover between not caring about him and not liking him mm -hmm. so i don't know if that's part of it where i'm like i just <laughs> oh i wish i liked you a little bit more um but you know well <laughs> <laughs> before i get into my first impressions i want to say like i think part of it for that with me with the protagonist mm -hmm. is because like there's another character who their performance and their everything just is more interesting to me yeah mm -hmm. and so it's like what are we we got a perfectly good fallout boy right here literally <laughs> <laughs> what are we doing you know well yeah. I'll, I'll be honest there are two characters i'm more invested in yeah and yeah. you know but okay yeah you know. and it's nothing of course nothing against the performance no it's not the performance at all no it's the, it's the character it's the character yeah. yeah but uh no i i think i very much agree with both of you i uh a lot there's a lot of things to grab you with this film mm -hmm. there's a lot of things to like about this film mm -hmm. but i don't feel held i don't feel in love yeah with this I do feel that in real life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think that it's one of those things that is kind of seeing this this long list of people who requested it. Yeah. I feel so much of this love for this film. It is this beloved 80s horror classic. And yeah. It's, mm -hmm. You know, its own time. Uh, I think that that really could have been something to do with my expectations going into it. Because there are, I mean, so many films of this exact era yeah. that kind of feel... In a weird way, I mean, The Lost Boys, for example, mm -hmm. it feels more comfortable. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know why that is. It feels more like uh, a thing to return to a lot. It feels, you know, and that wasn't what I know you grew up with it. Oh, yeah. And that's another thing. It's odd to me that this isn't the film that you grew up with because it has everything. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You could. It's JP written all over. it. Yes. And that's (laughs) I think that's what uh, really confused me when I was done with it. Uh I was like, damn, I should have like you know stood up and clapped yeah and i was like it's just something something else i don't know if it was missing or just was not didn't didn't work for me or maybe because it is um harp uh, dude man he's (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah. there's something Mm -hmm. where i know we're gonna get into it but there's something something about it that i just couldn't like i couldn't fully uh, give get into it you know what i mean Mm mm-hmm I and I I do feel along with those like uh, gripes or complaints, uh, the pacing, as you said, mm-hmm. I feel like there are things that we see way too early. Yeah. Yes. I I want to be like, um, and there's there's some comparisons of this film. Uh, even Tom Holland, I think, referenced it as like a partial influence was Hitchcock's Rear Window. Okay. And you do feel kind of like that kind of a thing with Rear Window. But there's a lot more time of like, is it? Is it not? You know, mm-hmm. where you're like, oh, maybe it's not what I'm thinking. It's not what he's thinking. Yeah. It's a little more ambiguous. Right. And but, this film. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, we're 20 minutes in. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, okay, cool. <laughs> all right. All right. I was going to compare it to the episode of Simpsons where Bart broke his leg, but yours That's is better. The, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but and as you said, it is. Uh, we'll say it's a little long in the fang. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I just, I, I think that um, maybe it's just, uh, I don't know, because there are some parts that I, I can't point to a thing aside from like some subplots that I think we could lose. Yeah. Where I'm like, uh, well, we could cut these 10 minutes exactly. Mm-hmm. You know? So, I mean, I don't know. Maybe we'll figure it out during the... Right, right. Yeah. But I mean, there's a lot of reverence for classic horror. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of respect for vampires in general as like a horror creature yeah so i mean there really is a lot of a lot of things to like peter vincent yeah yeah i mean yeah. roddy mcdowell's fantastic mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so i mean you know it's 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 i i i am in like with this movie yeah yeah okay but i did want to talk a little bit about the production okay because i think it is kind of interesting how it came together and also how tom holland after many many years got to live a dream Mm-hmm. Yeah, are you, is this the dream or was the dream when he made thinner? Oh nay! <laughs> no, I was gonna ask when he became Spider Man. Um. <laughs> <laughs> this is two different. <laughs> Wouldn't that be wild? Yeah, that would be wild. <laughs> um, but this is Tom Holland's directorial debut. Okay, and so I had read in Fangoria, and I saw an interview that he did with Shock Till You Drop. Um, where he was talking about the genesis of this idea and how it all came to be. Mm-hmm. But he had said that um, he had started actually as an actor first, and then he decided he wanted to become a screenwriter, but it was all in service of this dream of someday becoming a director. Oh, all right. And so he had written a few screenplays. I know he wrote a film called The Beast Within, a film called Class of 1984, which will come up later. Mm-hmm. And he wrote Psycho 2. Mm. all right and so and first of all somebody with such a knowledge and reverence for classic horror and you get to write psycho too yeah yeah that's amazing yeah but 
in that Shock Till You Drop interview, he talked about kind of um, missing that experience of working on Psycho 2. Because mm-hmm. he wrote two films after that called Cloak and Dagger and Scream for Help. And whenever he worked on those, it really was his vision goes onto the paper and then the director does whatever they want with it. Yeah. But when he worked on Psycho 2, he was working with the director, framing shots, kind of building in all these homages to the original. And so he's like, oh, this feels, you know, I'm getting my vision on screen. Yeah. yeah. And then two films later and it's not not anymore. <laughs> and so he's like, how do I recapture that feeling? Yeah. And he's like, I think that I have built up enough of a reputation, enough of this little uh, thing we call clout mm-hmm. to write a film, take it to a studio and they would let me direct it. Yeah. And so he had been kind of working with this idea of a horror fan who just so happens to be living next door <laughs> to a vampire. <laughs> it happens at the best. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say, what a coinkydink. <laughs> but um, he, he mentioned, he's like, this is, but at that point, it's just an idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's not a story. That's like, a, that's like an SNL sketch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he decides that he is going to flesh it out. And as he does, it's when he comes up with, and we'll get into it more, the character of Peter Vincent, that he's like, okay, now we have a ball game. Yeah. And so he tries to sculpt this idea as an idea that he thinks would be attractive to studios so it's easier for him to get it made. Mm-hmm. And so he takes it to Columbia and when he does, they immediately see the commercial potential. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because this is liter- this is like kind of written for this era and this time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like perfectly. And so they greenlight the film in I think a matter of months. Damn. Oh, damn. And so it's like this kind of perfect timing of everything that allows for certain things to happen that we'll get into later regarding the special effects Mm -hmm. Mm. because it's kind of wild the people that they were able to get for this film okay that they normally would not have been able to and probably shouldn't have been able to yeah but um that was another thing that we had talked about as well off mic was that it seemed like Columbia kind of just let them do whatever they wanted. Yeah. yeah. Well, from what I read, they said that it was the lowest budgeted film at the time. Wow. So they were not bothering them. They were not coming to set. They were just like, So is this the it. same Columbia that was like sending out those things to buy cassettes in the late 80s and 90s? Because they sent us catalogs <laughs> and we could get all these cassettes for like 10 cents if we... It was crazy. That price is pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> I, you can't I don't pass know. it up. <laughs> but no, I'm um, old, all right? I'm sorry. <laughs> I, you know, those cassettes are probably worth a lot right now. Yeah. They probably are. Did you get any? Uh, we did. I think my mom got mad. I don't know what happened to us. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Tom Holland. Yes. <laughs> uh, he finally gets to live this dream. And this is, I mean, the beginning, and this establishes him as a director, like I said in my intro, yeah. which leads to Child's Play, leads to... Thinner! Thinner. Yeah, <laughs> all right. To a much lesser extent, Thinner. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it kind of leads into what we said about um, liking the film and thinking it's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Because he had said, intentionally, his hope was for it to just be a good bit of fun. Yeah. He said he wants it to be like an amusement park ride. I think he compared it to Disney. Okay. Which is interesting because they, I think they filmed some of this at the Disney lot. Oh, cool. <laughs> but um, he, and one thing that he did point out is obviously his respect for the horror genre. Yeah. In an interview that was a part of a press kit, he had said that uh, there is no room for campiness in the depiction of these vampires. And... 
I feel like that is mostly true with this film. Yeah. Because there is some campiness, but it's really not with... It's not? That, yeah. yeah that's, no. That's a really good point, actually. Yeah. And in all fairness, I mean, that could have been another thing that was a little confusing to me because... Whenever I see a film called Fright Night from 1985, yeah. I have certain things in mind. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, that vampire means business. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, before we stake this film in the heart, we would like to issue a warning for spoilers. Podmortem is a very in-depth podcast, and in thoroughly discussing horror films, we have no choice but to spoil a thing or two. If you don't wish to be spoiled, please go watch the film, then come back and enjoy the show. If you've already seen the film or don't care about spoilers, let's sink our fangs into it. So the film opens on a shot of the full moon behind the cover of Creeping Clouds. As a wolf howls in the distance, we dip down from the moon to a suburban street under the blue light of night. We hear the voices of Jonathan, played by Bob Korf, and Miss Nina, played by Pamela Brown. So th there's going to be a lot of references to Dracula in this, mm -hmm. but I know it's Jonathan and Mina, but this is Jonathan and Nina. Yeah. yeah. Pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> but Jonathan asks what the howling was, and Nina excuses it as just a child of the night, which again is a reference to Dracula. Yeah. Very good. As I've claimed. <laughs> <laughs> but as the camera pans across trees and houses outside, we hear Nina ask Jonathan to sit down outside with her on the veranda. Jonathan's voice complains of the cold. But Nina assures him that it isn't cold at all. It's beautiful. First of all, that's a personal thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell me what is <laughs> isn't cold. But as we press in on a two-story house with a for sale sign planted in its front yard, we get the title in blood red, Fright Night. And along with the music cue, the first and last letters of the title become pointed to appear like fangs. I thought that was awesome. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I loved the little musical sting that came mm -hmm. with it. But again, to me, it set a tone that this is going to be campy as fuck. This yeah. is going to be over the top. Mm -hmm. And like you were saying earlier, that's not as uh, as far as the vampires themselves. Yeah. Or himself. Yeah. That's <laughs> <Right>. not <laughs> that's that's not really what we get. Yeah. But like the vibe that's being established, even with the the. um voiceover and everything that we're mm -hmm. hearing yeah i just i don't know i'm expecting something quite different than what we got yeah no i'll, I'll agree with that because they do they take it very seriously <laughs> yeah <laughs> which is not a bad no thing. No, no it's no, just no. not what i was expecting. Yeah. <laughs> but the opening credits continue as nina confesses her love for the night and jonathan admits that he's never seen her look so beautiful before so pale so luminescent it's like <laughs> come on dude <laughs> put two and two together in your teeth they're, yeah. they're so sharp, sharp. <laughs> but we hear jonathan take notice of the redness of nina's lips and she asks if he would like to kiss them we hear cartoonish smooching <laughs> that's my notice i love the cartoonish kissing yeah. <laughs> like we got some sounds from bugs bunny we can use <laughs> But the camera rises to the second floor of the house next door and lingers on a window where we see that the saga of Jonathan and Nina is actually playing out on a television. Jonathan asks why Nina is looking at him so strangely, but she corrects him. She's not looking at him. She's looking at his neck. Oh, shit. This is bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
But she remarks how beautiful it is and invites him to lay his head on her breast. On the small screen, we then see Peter Vincent, played by Roddy McDowell, appearing quite worried, setting down a satchel he was holding and rummaging through it to find a large wooden crucifix. So Roddy McDowell. Yeah. Prolific actor. Oh, yeah. I was looking at his filmography and it's just there. He started as a child actor in the 1930s. Wow. (laughs) So his career was like 60 years. Yeah. And he was I mean, he was in the original Planet of the Apes. He was in, I think, the full original trilogy of it. Cleopatra he was in. Mm -hmm. He's worked with just directors that you would put on like. Turner classic movie kind of thing. Yeah, It's wild to just look at all the films that he appeared in. Yeah. Uh, Interestingly, part of the reason that he got this role is because he appeared in Class of 1984, Mm -hmm. which was written by Tom Holland. Mm -hmm. And so that connection there, and I think the studio even suggested Roddy McDowell, and Tom Holland was like, well, we just, you know, and so it all just worked out. But to get an actor of this caliber in this film, yeah, it's kind of wild. Yeah, I I also got very curious because I was like, that guy sounds very familiar. Mm-hmm. So I went and looked, and I I too I was astonished. He was in Macbeth from '48. Yes, God I was like, what damn. the fuck? Yeah. Um, he was in Twilight Zone, mm-hmm. an episode from 1960. I was like, damn. Also, because I was like, I was like, dude, I knew it. He did a few episodes of Duckman from 96, <laughs> The Tick from 94. Oh, my God. SWAT Cats. He was one of the cats because I loved that show from 93. <laughs> he was in Gargoyles from 96 to 97. Gargoyles. Pinky in the Brain from 96 to 98. And he did A Bug's Life. Wow. In 98. That's I was like, awesome. I know that voice. Mm-hmm. So it made me curious. I was like, I got to go look. What a career. Yeah. yeah. They talked about it whenever they were on set together and not actively shooting. Yeah. He has all these classic stories of old Hollywood. Yeah. Oh, I bet. If I'm not mistaken, they said he went to school with Elizabeth Taylor. Oh, yeah. my God. Like, well, there is just so much. And uh, it's just, just unbelievable yeah. the amount of history in this one person. Mm-hmm. I thought that it was interesting too, especially learning how accomplished and talented he is. Mm-hmm. Um, he had said that for this role, mm-hmm. he said that basically, like you learn to act better by playing a bunch of different parts. Okay, but that Peter Vincent has only played one role over <laughs> and over and over and over, so he would not be a good actor. Mm-hmm. So he purposefully made <laughs> Peter Vincent. Not very good in in <laughs> the stuff that we see him in, which is hilarious. That makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> it's really funny to me. And it does take a good actor to act like a bad actor. Yes. Yeah. And I, the one person, because they had talked to Roddy McDowell, I think initially wanting him to do something like a Vincent Price situation, mm-hmm. but and they even wanted to cast Vincent Price. But oh, shit. I think that his health wasn't uh, well at the time, and so he couldn't. Oh, okay. But um. In an interview that I had read, Roddy McDowell had said that he didn't want to base it on Vincent Price for that reason, because he's like, Vincent Price had yeah, yeah. range and a career. Peter Vincent does not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, Peter Vincent, of course, Peter Cushing, Vincent Price. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. I did read that um, Vincent Price told him that he did a really great job, though. That's sweet. I know. I, I would have like cried. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but after Peter finds his crucifix... He holds it up to Nina, barking, Stop! 
you creature of the night? Nina, her fangs ready to feed, glares up at Peter, hissing. She pleads to know who dares to interrupt her nightly feeding, and with cheesy acting befitting of this schlock, (laughs) Peter introduces himself as Peter Vincent, vampire, killer, brandishing a hammer and a stake. The look on his face is hilarious. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> and also his wig. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and when we cut away, that steak was backwards. It was well, backwards. It was <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was. But as Peter marches towards Nina and she's promptly staked off screen, the camera pans around the bedroom where the television sits. As Nina's cries of pain and anguish echo off the walls, the camera peers over the bed, finding two teenagers, Charlie Brewster, played by William Ragsdale, and Amy Peterson, played by Amanda Burse, making out all hot and heavy on the floor, surrounded by pillows. <laughs> I noticed, too, uh, when we pass by, he's got a little Plinko machine on the floor there. Mm-hmm. I remember my brother-in-law, we would... Uh, help him build those two and fix me buy them those things are so fun dude they're pretty cool it's like a pinball machine or some so i i was i didn't ever know what they were so i looked it up too <laughs> and i was like man because that it, again this should all the things that i love are yeah here. Yeah, yeah, yeah you know what i mean mm-hmm. and i was like oh i know what that is um they were invented in japan in the 1920s as a kid's toy Mm -hmm. and they said and it said i looked it on wikipedia it said that by the 30s it became an adult toy and they were using it for gambling well isn't it on one of the one of those shows one of those game shows (laughs) <laughs> you gotta be more you specific. know what I'm about. And you also gotta be more careful about saying <laughs> adult, adult toy. toy. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. <laughs> A gambling device. Hey, that's better. <laughs> I'm scolding both of you. <laughs> but William Ragsdale, I saw on a panel, if I'm not mistaken. He talked about the process of him being cast in this film, Mm -hmm. which was that he actually auditioned, I believe, for the film Mask to play Rocky Dennis. Did not get the part. Mm. Yeah. But the casting director remembered him when they were looking for someone for this. And they wanted somebody with a very specific look so that it kind of did feel like you're watching the boy next door. Yeah. And so they wanted somebody who wasn't like this teenage heartthrob kind of a situation just a regular person. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. He does give Boy Next Door. Yeah. Because I read that Charlie Sheen wanted to audition. Really? Yeah. And Tom Holland told him he was too attractive, <laughs> that it wasn't going to work. And I think of seeing Charlie Sheen in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Yeah. And I would be very distracted. Like, I want, <laughs> like, there's no way. He's not a Boy Next Door. Or he was not he, in the 80s. He's not. But if you give him that part and you make this full silly are you going to this it would be a different movie oh that is true that is true i think and it's (laughs) the character not a fan no (laughs) yeah Yeah. but william ragsdale does do a good job he does does. yes i did see he has like a long list of credits over the years um parts in tv shows episodes and other films but i personally remembered when i saw his face he was on search party he played chuck the nanny daddy Shut your fucking <laughs> mouth. Yes, dude. That is him. I yeah. did not even put that together. God, what a great show. What a not great well, ending. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, let's put a caveat on that. <laughs> you guys say that all the time. I know. Oh, oh, it started out so good. So good. Um, but uh, Amanda Burse. Yeah. I 
when I realized, I was like, oh my God, that's Marcy from Married with Children. I yes. know she's done other stuff. Mm-hmm. But I watched that so much when I was younger. This was a almost a comfort. And I was like, hell, I know that voice. And she looks the same. She does <laughs> look the like, same. Oh, man. So I was very pleased. And she does great in this. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I will say, I think that I know that they're playing 17-year-olds. Yeah. I think she was 26 and he was 23, if I'm not mistaken. Wow. Okay. You know, honestly, they're pretty believable. Yeah. They're young. Yeah. yeah. They look pretty young. But when Amy hears the announcer on the television introducing the broadcast's host for the evening, Peter Vincent, she looks over Charlie's shoulder and directs his attention to the television. There, they see Peter rising from a coffin on a television set, now much older with gray hair, welcoming his viewers to Fright Night. Charlie isn't about Peter Vincent right now, though. (laughs) And when Amy reminds him that he loves Peter Vincent, he responds in his best Bela Lugosi, telling her that he loves her more before giving her a playful bite on the neck. She laughs as Peter steps out of the coffin on the television, inviting the viewer on a journey into horror and introducing the film Blood Castle. Peter admits that it's one of his favorites, and for a good reason. He stars in it. (laughs) (laughs) But he laughs wildly as the broadcast cuts to commercial, and meanwhile, Charlie continues to get quite handsy with Amy despite her telling him to stop. I I was already mad. Yeah. Yeah. Because it was like, oh, this is cute, you know, and he's like being a vampire and biting her neck and stuff. But she's like, all right, that's enough. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like, fucking chill, Charlie. And again, this is our our dude? Yeah. Yeah. This is our guy? Wait, it gets worse. (laughs) (laughs) When he ignores her and attempts it again, she shouts at him, aggravated that she already told him once. Charlie rises to his feet, annoyed, reminding Amy that they've been going out for almost a year, and all he ever hears is, Charlie, stop it. Then Charlie, (laughs) fucking stop it. Yeah, I was going to say, so then you've been told way more than once. If that's all you hear, then you're consistently out of pocket. Yeah. And this is our introduction to this team. Yes! But he immediately softens, apologizing as if he didn't just show his entire ass. All of it. And I'm like, this is 1985. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are we supposed to be like, well, poor guy. You know what I mean? I don't the know. The way shit has changed, yeah. especially in the 80s, though, a lot of those movies are fucking, they do not age well. No. So I'm like, man, fuck Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> From Jump. Yeah. Yeah. But Amy apologizes too. Boo! <laughs> <laughs> I lost the star. <laughs> But she tells him that she's just afraid. She kisses him and holding his face and locking eyes, says that they should get back into bed. Charlie asks if she means it and she answers him with an even deeper kiss. During this kiss though, Charlie is turned to face his bedroom window and upon looking down, spots something very peculiar. Two figures shrouded in the darkness of the night are carrying what appears to be an ornate coffin towards the back of the neighbor's property next door. Well, that's something you don't see every day. Oh, no. <laughs> well, they're moving in. Yeah, well. <laughs> Amy climbs into Charlie's bed, and Charlie is too preoccupied with what's going on next door to notice that Amy is removing her shirt. A couple times. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she reconsiders them. Yeah. <laughs> The continuity errors were making yeah. me laugh out yeah. loud. Oh, yeah. It's just very funny because you're like, I guess we're really supposed to be focused on Charlie right yeah. now. <laughs> <laughs> but as Charlie spies through his window with binoculars, Amy seems deep in thought before announcing to Charlie that she's ready. 
But Charlie is transfixed, telling Amy that she's not going to believe it, but there are two guys outside and they're carrying a coffin. But on the television, the beginning of Bloodcastle seems to be featuring the exact same thing that Charlie is describing, as several men carry a coffin through a fog-filled crypt. Amy responds annoyed, asking if the men outside are also on the moors as they are in the film. Charlie assures Amy that he's serious, and she just responds that she is too, asking Charlie if he wants to make love or not. This really confused me because clearly he was all horned up. Yeah. Two seconds ago? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's weird to me that she's like, so now you don't want to? It's like, no, he he does. Like, there's something out that window. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. If the, the misunderstanding here, like, goes forward. Like, this is not a yeah. um, thing that doesn't have consequences. Like, this has lasting effects, and I just don't... It was very confusing to me. No, this carries on for a good 30 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of the film... I the thing is is and it's something that isn't exactly I mean I guess it is established with him watching Fright Night. Right. The thing is I guess when Tom Holland was talking about his obsession with horror very early on, mm-hmm. he actually mentioned growing up around the same time that Stephen King did and so when you hear him talking about Creepshow and the influence of EC Comics, yeah, yeah. it's the same exact thing with Tom Holland. And like Denner. Oh no. <laughs> Nay. <laughs> Not again. <laughs> um but where Tom Holland grew up, horror is kind of like this like traded contraband almost. Okay. And so the fact that Charlie is watching Fright Night is you're supposed to connect, oh, Charlie's obsessed with horror, which I don't think, I think maybe a modern audience, it doesn't come across that way. It, yeah, I, I, I didn't. Completely agree because all that I read is that he's this horror obsessed yeah. dude where it's like to the point where it consumes him. It's all he cares about. And I got that he's watching, you know, the show and that she's like, oh, you love Peter Vincent. And that's all. Yeah, yeah. that's it. I know that that is the premise, <laughs> yeah. but I, I agree to me in 2023 um, or when you're hearing this in 2024, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't, it, I don't, it doesn't come across that way. Yeah, I didn't get that either. I was just that. Oh, y'all Hank. Because I mean, in most horror movies, they're just hanging out and something's on the TV. Yeah. It's a horror movie. Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't mean that they love horror movies. Now, in Halloween, when the kids are sitting there and they're like, no, I want to watch this shit. Yeah. Okay. You're sitting and seeing how excited they are about it. Mm -hmm. They were making out and whatever. And then, (laughs) you know, and then he's just like, no, wait, the window. Wait, <laughs> you know, honestly, you're totally right because the only time we've really referenced horror, he's like, I don't give a shit. Yeah. yeah. He's like, Fuck Peter Vincent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to get yeah. it in. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, I, love, in. I love Jesus. him, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that is lost. Yeah. Yeah. And even there's something that happens later on where he goes to someone else for knowledge that as a horror fan, he yes. should have. Yeah. That's right. Frankly. So, and mm. especially if you're such a big fan of uh, Peter Vincent. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it's a little. Yeah. So, yeah, if that, that was lost on me and then reading about it and you know it's like horror fan horror fanatic but i'm like oh okay yeah. all right i mean oh, all right sure yeah <laughs> and that was another thing that i think we all kind of read in different interviews mm-hmm. was tom holland kind of uh, aside from rear window and the classic horror monsters yeah partial influence of it being the boy who cried wolf right which we'll obviously get to and explain a little more later yeah but the reason that that's supposed to work so well is because they're like, oh, Charlie's just obsessed with horror. Yeah. Which, again. If we knew that. Mm-hmm. If if we knew that, yes. But also, I would say that 
the three of us are all very big horror fans. Mm-hmm. If John Paul was like, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I would hope. Yeah. yeah. I think our new neighbor is a vampire. I wouldn't be like, oh my God, John Paul's a fucking <laughs> horror movie fan, <laughs> whatever. Tomato, tomato. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, just because. That should make you more qualified mm-hmm. to be pointing yeah. shit out. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> We're going off on a tangent, but. No, but I mean, look, and literally the, the sight that he sees out of his window. Yeah. Yes. Amy's just like, oh, it's the same as this movie. It's the same as this movie or whatever. But it's like, look. Yeah. yeah I'd at least be like, if I get up and look out that window. And there's and not. there's nothing yeah. there. That would have made more sense if she's like, what? And she goes over and they're already gone. Yeah. Then yeah. get pissed off. This is what I'm talking about as far as like the suspicion thing that I want more of. Yes. Mm-hmm. To where there's this ambiguous thing of like, maybe, you know, Charlie is just seeing, not seeing things, but he's kind of putting his own flavor on it. Right. Uh, yeah. But, and even so, at that point, it's like okay if you do establish him as like obsessed and that's all that he consumes maybe like he kind of wants it to be that way yeah or you know then you're unreliable or then you're unbelievable but as it stands this miscommunication like all of it is i was like okay (laughs) amy go look yeah Yeah. like you're taking your shirt off a third time yeah Yeah. (laughs) girl get up But after Amy asks him if he wants to make love or not, Charlie just continues watching outside as the two figures creep down into the cellar next door with the coffin. Charlie repeats that Amy needs to see what's happening, but she instead puts her shirt back on, snags her things, and makes a loud and hasty exit. Charlie follows her downstairs outside of his room, explaining that maybe it wasn't a coffin, but he did see two guys carrying something downstairs next door. But Amy doesn't want to hear it, expressing her annoyance at Charlie's hot and cold behavior, confused that first he wants to make love and then he doesn't. But again, like, just look out the window, dude. Please. That's all. Yeah, just believe him. Just listen to what he's saying. And can we just acknowledge the fact that they're speaking above full volume? Oh, no. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's about to be a problem in a second. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Because in the adjacent room is Judy Brewster, Charlie's mother, played by Dorothy Fielding. Sat on the couch, watching television and reading a magazine, she promptly calls out to the teens, asking what's wrong. Charlie promises that it's nothing. She's asking what's wrong, but she heard everything. There's no way you did. (laughs) But Charlie promises that it's nothing, and she calls them into the room anyway, asking if they're having a lover's spat. Charlie says it's nothing like that, but Judy consults her magazine, telling them that it's actually a good thing and quoting the statistic that the divorce rate is actually 76% higher among couples who don't argue before marriage. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, you, work, you gotta work things out. Yeah. I guess. yeah. <laughs> if, the, if you never argue not one time, one of you is being fake as fuck. Yeah, <laughs> one or both it, of you. Or you are just perfect because <laughs> that's real it is it is <laughs> it is charlie walks over <laughs> charlie walks over to the window in the living room peering through it but reminding his mother that they're still in high school he watches a shadow creep across the inside of the neighbor's property as judy sets up plans with amy's mother for the weekend Amy attempts to say goodnight to Charlie. He literally goes, yeah, goodnight. Not even turning around. I understand (laughs) it'd be hard to focus if you've seen some shit like that. I get it. But if you know your girl was just mad about some shit that happened upstairs, 
Pay pay attention to her. You're here right now. Just look, look, look. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Please. I seen something over there. Shit's weird. Yes. I, I, I got a bad feeling. Something. I was like, can his eyeballs and his mouth not work? At yeah. The same he's time? just like, whatever. Yeah. It's And it is like, I look, I understand this is probably one of the more interesting things that's ever happened ever. Yeah. That's fair. But Amy, so come is this. Look at this yeah. shit. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but she says goodnight to Judy, who thanks her for helping Charlie with his homework. And she tries one more time with Charlie saying that she'll see him tomorrow, but he doesn't answer her at all. So she just storms out of the house, furious and upset. Dump him. (laughs) (laughs) But as soon as Amy leaves, Judy admonishes her son for his behavior, but he just confusedly tells her that he sees people at the house next door. Judy responds that the new owner must be moving in, telling him that her realtor friend, Bob Hopkins, finally sold the place. But all she knows about the new owner is that he fixes up old houses for a living. I This is really funny to me that the role that real estate plays in vampire stories. Yeah. <laughs> so often. It's very prominent. It is. Yeah. You wouldn't expect it, but it's really no. important. <laughs> but she adds that the new owner is allegedly very attractive. And she says that she hopes that however he is, she hopes he knows what he's getting himself into with this house. Mom, why you get to say some shit like that? <laughs> what, what does that mean? What? How bad is the house? Yeah. How attractive yeah, is the new Yeah, that's what I was going to say. What the fuck was that, Mom? What, what? Oh, I was, just, <laughs> I was just concerned for his safety, but I guess... <laughs> She's like, you might have a new dad. By the, end of <laughs> the end of this. <laughs> but as she continues, the camera finds the television in the living room where a newscaster played by Chris Hendry shares a story about a man being found murdered tonight behind the railroad yards. We fade to black as his voice tells us that the details are pending. I'm sure it's unrelated. (laughs) (laughs) But more about this neighbor. What's going on? (laughs) But the next day at school, Charlie walks through the halls, staring in disbelief at a paper in his hand, followed by Evil Ed, his friend, I guess, played by Stephen <laughs> Jeffries. <laughs> I I say that because it they don't no. act like they even like each other. Yeah, not really. For like ninety nine percent of this, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but they do interact a lot. So I guess, uh, yeah. I guess, yeah. yeah. But <laughs> I wanted to talk about Stephen Jeffries because his story for being cast in this film is kind of similar to William Ragsdale. Oh, okay. He went to audition for weird science but it was actually a mistake Uh, his agent meant to send anthony michael hall but sent him instead (laughs) well we all know who got the part yeah (laughs) Yeah. but when he gets there the casting director's like you're not anthony michael hall yeah but he makes so much of an impression that she remembers him later okay when they're casting this oh nice so it just worked out perfectly and the interesting thing is that I think he got the phone call telling him that he would be in Fright Night when he was working on another film with Amanda Burse. Uh, <laughs> oh, how funny. Yeah. Oh, yeah. From my understanding, he had auditioned or he wanted to play the role of Charlie. Huh. Really? But they were like, no. Which he yeah. is perfect for the role that he plays. Yeah. I I think he he honestly there are small moments of performance that I'm like you're feeling things. Yes. Yeah. It's very 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 good acting. Yeah. And his character just has more to him. 
Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's a fucking character. Yeah. And his voice and mm-hmm. like the the line delivery, he's just very he's very fucking good in yeah. this. But as they walk outside, a furious Charlie curses his teacher for not telling them that there was going to be a pop quiz. Well, yeah. (laughs) Ed reminds him that that's the entire point. And as Charlie thanks him sarcastically, Amy pushes past them, still angry from the night before. I laughed because she clearly recognizes Charlie and she fucking beefs him with her shoulder. It's it's very intentional. He had it coming. He did. Yeah. But Charlie calls out to her and he gets a taste of his own medicine when she doesn't answer him. Ed jokes that Amy must have found out what Charlie's really like. And Charlie just replies, buzz off, evil. Ed's demeanor changes completely. And he tells Charlie that he can call him whatever he likes, but he's still the one failing Trig. And he storms off. Yeah. He got pissed off. Yeah. This is clearly an unwanted nickname. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's what I don't understand is where that comes from as far as and that makes more sense if he's obsessed with horror. Charlie's making fun of him for it. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot more sense. Mm -hmm. That's a really good point. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I don't know, dude. No. But we cut the Charlie driving home in his splotched red and white Mustang. He parks out in front of his house and he notices a woman played by Heidi Sorensen stepping out of a cab. His eyes travel from her feet to her legs and up her body to meet her gaze. He is looking at her like a fucking cartoon wolf. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Roll your tongue back up. Put the eye, pop him back in. Get that steam taken care of. <laughs> Calm down. But she asks him if his house is 99 Oak Street, but he tells her that that's the house next door. She smiles and walks away, Charlie staring at her butt through her short blue skirt. I will say, first of all, Charlie, calm down. Yes. But secondly, it is very funny to me that the taxi driver would be like, well, it's one of them. Ask the kid. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like, that's wild. (laughs) I didn't think of that. Yeah, neither did I. You're a taxi driver. You know what point. It's probably. (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. But Charlie heads inside his house with the newspaper, handing it to Judy in the kitchen. He asks her if she's seen the new guy next door yet, and she tells him that she hasn't, but she's heard that he has a live-in carpenter. Judy says with her luck, the neighbor might be gay, but Charlie, with a chuckle from his recent interaction, says that he doesn't think so. Yeah, because there's only one reason to invite a woman to your house, right? (laughs) (laughs) Jesus. No, I mean for him. Yeah, Yeah. he's like, nah. (laughs) He's really endearing himself for us. Yeah, he sucks. (laughs) I will say, and this is something that Jules and I were talking about it, where there is, and we'll get to it later, Mm -hmm. a lot of subtext in this film that I think would be more interesting to explore than what we get. Okay. And especially with the relationship between the live-in carpenter and Mm -hmm. the neighbor. Yeah. Yeah, I really would have loved more of that. Yeah. Yeah. But Judy asks if Charlie knows something that she doesn't, and Charlie just rushes off to go study. We cut to Charlie upstairs, studying his trigonometry at a desk in his room. He's like, no, I really fucked up. (laughs) (laughs) He's got to make corrections. Why is he studying with the light off? Well, you know, it's easier on the eyes, I guess. (laughs) Not really. (laughs) That's how you grow up to be the dad from Sinister. (laughs) No, shit. (laughs) It's an origin story. (laughs) But as he reaches for his pencil sharpener, a woman's scream pierces the night clearly coming from the house next door. 
I will say that this bit, little small thing with the pencil sharpener, yeah, it's foreshadowing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. I thought that was pretty yeah. neat. Yeah. But after hearing this scream, Charlie sits frozen in fear. But then we find him studying at a restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, so we're just just get past it. Yeah. yeah. And not only that, I feel like other people would hear that if he could hear it. Definitely. I would agree. And yeah. his blood curdling. Yeah. <laughs> I will say, though, it is it, the way that the scene cuts. He's like, I can't study with that. <laughs> 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 it's very distracting. You're being very inconsiderate. Can you murder quieter, please? <laughs> <laughs> but walking up to Charlie's table at the restaurant and sitting down across from him is Amy. He seems surprised to see her, but he immediately apologizes for his behavior the other night. So I don't know how many nights have passed. Oh shit. I the way that I took this and you saying the way that you said it makes more sense that like he heard the scream and then he left. Mm-hmm. I thought this was tomorrow. That yeah, that's what I thought. Fair enough. So then it was the next day when he failed his thing and then today. So it's been a couple days. And that makes sense I guess with what we hear on the news. Yeah. Oh, okay. 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 Yeah. But the cut of that the edit. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it's very abrupt. <laughs> it's like, I can't do this. Yeah. <laughs> but Amy takes the blame for what happened the other night, which surprises Charlie, but he just tells her plainly that he loves her and that he never wants to fight with her again. Amy is glad to hear it, admitting that she's been miserable the last two days. I guess I should read my own fucking script <laughs> <laughs> before, before I start speculating. But their reunion is interrupted by a news broadcast on television announcing the second murder in two days. As Amy continues expressing her feelings over the past couple of days, Charlie's attention is drawn to a nearby television where they show a picture of the second victim, the woman that Charlie spoke to from the cab who was headed towards the neighbor's house. Open your fucking mouth Mm -hmm. and say something. Yeah. Talk! Yeah. Yeah. He was driving me crazy. <laughs> he just gets up and he's like, oh. yes. <laughs> <laughs> y'all just shit. made up. Like, yeah, you ju- no shit. You've yeah, learned yeah. nothing. Don't apologize if you're not going to change the behavior. I was mad. No, I know. <laughs> and I love that I, even on the news broadcast, they said in two days, like, dude, yeah. <laughs> I'll just, full disclosure, I wrote this script like a week ago. Right. <laughs> so I'm doing my best. But the newscaster says that the woman's body was found under the North Creek Bridge by the old mill. Charlie rises from the table, inching closer to the television and away from Amy, but bumping into evil Ed, who just so happens to be there, too. He tells Charlie about what he heard on the police band, that not only was this the second murder in two days, but both victims were found decapitated. He laughs a churlish chuckle, and Charlie tells him that he's sick. Again, with the horror thing. Yeah. 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 But Amy joins them, staring angrily at Charlie, who has once again ditched her. She snags a sloppy Joe from a nearby patron, slamming it into Charlie's face, storming off as Ed laughs uproariously, sarcastically remarking, You're so cool, Brewster. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Ed has every right to laugh. Yes, he does. Yeah. But I need one of them to go buy that kid another sloppy Joe sandwich because yeah. that was fucked up. He's like, hey. Yeah, that, <laughs> that was fucked up. <laughs> I, I, I'm with you. I was frustrated because he wasn't saying anything. Mm-hmm. Two, though, again, 
he's mentioned he was he was focused on his neighbor. He said he's seen something going on. Mm-hmm. Now he's focused on this TV. What is on the TV? Hey, hey, dude, hey, why are you looking at the TV that way? Hey, does that mean something to you? Yeah. Hey, if you're not going to answer me, then I'm going to leave. Now you're wearing a sloppy Joe. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. I mean, because you're so dumbfounded. Yeah. It's like, please talk to each other. It's literally just that easy. Just say, look, I know I told you about the coffin the other night. Yeah. And you didn't believe me, but listen to this. Seriously. Yeah. I saw I this saw lady yesterday. And then I heard a scream and I couldn't study. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it's, it's literally just one conversation away. Yeah. But later... Charlie arrives home, setting down his books and approaching the fence of the neighbor's property. He eyes the entrance of the cellar, but earns the attention of Billy Cole, played by Jonathan Stark. Billy watches from inside the house as he paints the interior of the window black. Which again, it's an interesting thing to do. It is. And I will say it does look, it looks an awful lot like Billy and Charlie make eye contact. Yeah. Yes. And then Charlie continues. Yes. (laughs) I'm like, it's broad daylight, dude. Did anybody else think his name's Billy Cole? Yes. Did anybody else think of Buddy Cole from Kids and All? Yes. (laughs) I I might have written Buddy a few times. (laughs) She probably did. I wouldn't blame you. I love Scott Thompson. Scott Thompson's greatest. But as Charlie sneaks over, reaching for the cellar door to open it, Billy frightens him, asking what he's doing. Charlie lies, telling him that he wasn't doing anything. (laughs) (laughs) I'm looking right at you. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) That's such a kid thing to do, though, man. It's like, no, I wasn't. Yes, you were. Your hands were on the (laughs) door. (laughs) But with a quiet threat behind his smile, Billy tells him to make sure it stays that way. Eerie music accompanies Charlie's brisk jog back to his house. <laughs> the, the light jog didn't make yeah. me It's like, I need to get... <laughs> nope. <laughs> but that night, after a shot of the fog outside blanketing his neighbor's house, Charlie sits in his bedroom munching snacks and peering across the way with his binoculars. His lights are on. Yeah. (laughs) He's terrible at this. (laughs) (laughs) Fright Night is on in the background, and as a cheesy zombie film plays on the screen, we soon dissolve to a static television, following a trail of snack wrappers and a nudie mag to find Charlie sleeping in his chair. That annoyed me because it's like, if you're going to keep watch, keep watch. Like, yeah. <laughs> keep your mind on the business. <laughs> Don't be doing side quests. <laughs> In front of your window with the lights on. I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh, that's true. I'm yeah. sorry. Like, side quest. It looks bad. My note yeah. is, yeah. dude, get yourself together. Yeah. <laughs> but when he wakes up, he looks over to the house next door to find a girl played by Irina Irvine looking at him. She's relieved of her shirt by Jerry Dandridge, played by Chris Sarandon, who stands behind her. So Chris Sarandon, they were actually very surprised to get him for this film. Mm -hmm. He was very hesitant to sign on for a few reasons. Yeah. Firstly, it was working with a first-time director because Uh you don't know any kind of a history to say, oh, well, you made this? Great. You know? But the other thing is because, and this was true of a lot of actors who they talked to, they didn't want to be typecast playing a vampire. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) That's so specific. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They said that, you know, actors are kind of, it's either they become like a joke or they play this kind of role their entire career. Yeah. And so Sarandon 
kind of burgeoning this career, Oscar nominations and other films that he was in, it's kind of a risky move to go. Yeah. But um, he met with Tom Holland and Holland basically, he said he like acted out the entire script for him (laughs) (laughs) and he trusted his vision. And I mean, you see, first of all, obviously with this film, but they worked together again with Child's Play. Yeah. They worked together, I think, on another film, too. Mm -hmm. So they obviously it it went it went well. Yeah. (laughs) And he's great in this. Yes. Yeah. And, and he's uh, Prince Humperdinck. I yeah. have to say it every yeah. time. And I, I know. Jack Skellington. <laughs> Jack Skellington, yes. Yeah, he's right, Detective Norris. Yes. 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 And I didn't, I mean, possible vampire is what yeah. I meant. You know, yeah, we might be. We, yeah. You know, we don't know. Mm. And we won't find out for a while, right? No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> but after seeing the woman get her shirt removed by Jerry... Charlie sees her bare breasts and he immediately, he picks up his binoculars to get a better look. Yeah. You little fucking creep. (laughs) But I'm like, you think that this man is killing and decapitating people at the, at the minimum, right? Yeah. Yeah. Putting together the news stories and and what you've seen, who you've seen go into the house and then subsequently saw on the news. Mm -hmm. And you're like, titties, hold the phone. Like, That woman is most likely, if you're correct, that's the next victim. Yeah. And yeah. he's like, I'm just going to watch for, <laughs> for a little. <laughs> what happened was he got a virus. Mm. Ah. Was- <laughs> <laughs> and his pants yeah, flipped down flipped a little. Down. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Charlie. Yeah. <laughs> just listen to yeah. him. Just- <laughs> But as we hear a guitar solo in the score, accompanied by an eerie backing organ, Jerry kisses the girl's neck and runs his fingers through her hair. I read in the AV Club that the music of this film was done by Brad Fidel, who was originally the keyboardist for Holland Oates. Oh, <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> but he scored the Terminator. What? Oh, yeah. All right. <laughs> and so Tom Holland heard that and he was like, please. Yeah. Well, yeah. Great movie. Uh, yeah, I I've heard that some people consider it a horror film. I think that you know I'm the one that's always trying to sneak shit past the thing. Yeah, so yeah I think for sure we could do Terminator. I've never seen the, the whole thing. Just the first one. The rest of them are not. The first one's really good. Okay, and yeah. there are definitely horror elements. All right, just, you know whatever. <laughs> we'll think about it. <laughs> <laughs> but it was interesting because I guess um it was the electronic music that caught his attention yeah because he said that what he's hoping to accomplish with this score is to do something modern just like they're attempting to do with the vampire myth okay cool. all right so it kind of fit i thought it was interesting yeah but charlie watches as jerry raises his head revealing small sharp fangs in his mouth before he lowers his head back to the girl's neck so this I will allow is kind of like a little because some people have very pronounced canines. Yeah. Yeah. I do. Yeah. I yeah. think if you're seeing me across the way <laughs> They're not that bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. <laughs> I don't have any at all. Really? <laughs> you know, his yeah. Holy shit, you don't yeah. his are extremely straight. Yeah. <laughs> like I've never seen his teeth before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you have the widow's peak too, T, so maybe Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> But after lowering his head to the girl's neck, Jerry notices Charlie staring at them from the house next door. He locks eyes with him, 
creeping his way to the window and drawing the blinds closed. As he does, Charlie notices Jerry's silver ring and long fingernails, which I guess to him is also indicative of vampirism. Apparently. (laughs) I was just like, that is a lot of eye contact. Yeah. (laughs) It was a lot. (laughs) But Charlie drops his binoculars and makes a run for it to his mother's room. How do you explain that? Literally. I was peeping yeah. on the neighbors. Yeah. yeah. I mean. But what he does wake her up with fucking pissed me off. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Charlie bursts in, waking up Judy and frantically telling her about what he saw. He says the guy next door who bought the house has fangs. Bitch. <laughs> that. That. Yeah. They were so small, though. Yeah. I, I looked out my window. You don't even have to cop to the peeping, but you, yeah, just, you were fucking yeah, peeping. Mm-hmm. I looked, I fell asleep in my chair. I woke up and I looked out the window and he was attacking a lady. He was biting a lady. Yeah. Yeah. Call the cops. He's attacking somebody. Or not even biting, just he was attacking her. So whatever. That come. He's Anything. got. Fa- yeah. And his mom's like, I've got to fucking go to work. Yeah, dude. Because. <laughs> I mean, what's more important that the neighbor next door has teeth or that six o'clock no, comes yeah, really early? That, that, Very early. <laughs> so no, Judy does not meet his urgency. <laughs> and she reminds him that she has to be up early tomorrow. Charlie leaves the side of his mother's bed to look out of her window where he sees Billy opening the trunk of a black Jeep before rushing back to the house next door. Charlie leaves his mother's room, running downstairs and sneaking out to the backyard to hide in the shrubs and get a closer look. (laughs) What the fuck? (laughs) He watches as Billy slings a trash bag over his shoulder and loads it into the back of the Jeep. I will say the trash bag is shaped peculiarly. It is. But suddenly, in a POV shot, something stalks the roof of the neighbor's house before taking flight and landing in the backyard. We then see Jerry now clothed in a gray jacket and red scarf, standing at the front of the Jeep. He tells Billy that he forgot something and tosses him what appears to be a small handbag. It was a great catch. Yeah. (laughs) We got a pretty good shot of it. Yeah. (laughs) But just then, Judy opens the back door to their house, calling out into the night for Charlie. Jerry and Billy obviously take notice of this, and we see Jerry is snacking nonchalantly on an apple. I know I had said at the top that Tom Holland allowed a lot of like the cast to be like, well, what if we did this too? Or what if we added this or whatever? Mm-hmm. And it was Chris Sarandon's idea to have Jerry Dandridge constantly snacking on fruit because he's he's got fruit bat in him. Oh, that's... <laughs> I thought that was really cute because he eats a lot of apples. In yeah, this. he does. <laughs> I, I, I like that a lot better. I read an interview with Tom Holland. He did credit... Chris Sarandon, mm-hmm. but he had said that it was because he wanted to clean his fangs. But I like that a lot better. Clean his fangs. Yeah. Was, well, I mean, it's like you know, like the dog treat. I was gonna yeah. say. I mean. Okay. I, I mean, but you can do that on anything. Yeah. On anything. <laughs> <laughs> Chew, eat a brick. Yeah, I know. What the fuck? <laughs> eat glass. <laughs> I'm just agreeing with you. Yeah. yeah. Like absolutely. Yeah. Literally yeah. anything. Yeah. I ate some I'll- drywall this morning. <laughs> <laughs> How bad do you want your teeth cleaned? Well, get a toothbrush might we, be better. We yeah. can't afford dental. Yeah, please. <laughs> no, no. We, you made it too serious. It's <laughs> <laughs> the scariest part of this whole <laughs> But when Jerry notices Charlie hiding in the bushes, he tosses the apple to the ground and Charlie watches it slowly roll to a stop towards him. 
Charlie makes a beeline for his mother, forcing her inside and slamming the door behind both of them. It was strange to me that his mom didn't think anything strange about these two men kind of like advancing on her side. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> that's what was happening. Yeah. And she saw wh- <laughs> where he ran from. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean. She's like, Charlie, get your ass in here. <laughs> and also, didn't we just, I just talked to you like not even a minute ago. Yeah. yeah. And you were telling me. Yes. About. <laughs> yeah. She's like, give him his soul back. I got work tomorrow. <laughs> She's not having it. Not at all. <laughs> But inside, Judy makes her son a cup of hot cocoa, trying to calm him from what she assumes was just a nightmare. Charlie insists that it really happened and they did kill a girl next door. Judy just puts her palm to her son's forehead, asking how late he stayed up studying. But Charlie shouts that he is not sick. He tells her that the man next door had fangs and a bat did fly over his head. (laughs) And then a second later, the man stepped out from the shadows. Granted, it does. It's not good. Yeah. (laughs) But he asks his mother if she knows what that means. And he finally blurts it out. He's a vampire. Judy responds incredulously. A what? We then match cut to the next morning at Amy's house with Amy responding the exact same way. (laughs) A what? (laughs) But. Back to his mom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's like, how how late were you studying? Wouldn't it make sense if she's like, you fell asleep watching those movies again, yeah. huh? Yeah. Oh, if, yeah. You know? If you're so obsessed. Yeah. I, you know, math has never been my strong suit, but if they were doing like vampire math, maybe it would have been. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that does not correlate to what yeah. he thinks he's seeing. <laughs> yeah, it's like trigonometry. Everybody knows vampires love trigonometry. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone knows that. But Charlie repeats himself to Amy. A vampire. And he angrily asks if she's listened to a word he's said. After a moment, Amy asks if Charlie is using this whole vampire story as a way to get back together. She really wanted that to be the case. Though. Yeah. <laughs> she was like, huh? <laughs> the, the alternative is much more. <laughs> <laughs> but fed up, Charlie just says that he's going to go to the police. But Amy stops him, assuming that the police would lock him up over such a ridiculous story. Charlie understands, agreeing that he shouldn't mention the whole vampire thing, but that he's absolutely going to tell the police about the two women. So this is when I was like, if you don't have a problem going to the police, why didn't you do that when you saw a woman being attacked last night? Or when you fully identified the victim that was on the news? I think that honestly, okay, it's just funny to me because literally he has this very, very clear connection from that newscast. Yes, and then he goes home and he's eating fucking Doritos. Yes, and jerking off or whatever. All right, (laughs) Jesus Christ! I thought we were gonna start 2024 with a little bit of bucket decorum. (laughs) Sorry, it's been the holidays are over, baby. It's been four years of this shit. Anyway, (laughs) the fact that he's so logical about it and he's like, well, I just won't say the vampire part. Yeah. Like, why have you not said anything sooner? But but that too, I'm sitting here thinking, I'm like, he's obviously worked up about something. Uh If he's even, like you said, saying, look, I won't tell him that he's a vampire. I'll just tell him that he's hurting people. Yeah. So they'll come. Wouldn't you be like, okay, you're making sense now here then or you're... Sounding like you understand, you know what you're talking about. Maybe I should put some stock into what like you're saying. Like you're really worried about yeah. this. And I mean, literally, you cut out the vampire thing and it is something to be worried about. Yes! Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. But 
He makes his exit as Amy calls out for him in vain. But later, Charlie drives onto his street, following the car of Detective Lennox, played by Art Evans. So I thought I recognized this guy. He uh, looks very familiar. Right. He does. He was in Tales from the Hood. All right. Uh, he was in Die Hard 2. He, did, he had a small part in Christine. Mm. He was in uh, CB4 with uh, Chris, Chris Rock. Rock. Yeah. Uh, and he was in Death Wish from 74 with Charles Bronson. No shit. I was damn. like, damn, yeah. <laughs> well, he's got one of those faces. We talk about all the time, like, I've seen you in everything, but I can't remember anything. Yeah. It's a character actor. Yeah. yeah. But as they both step out of their vehicles, Lennox asks Charlie if he's sure about everything he's told him, and Charlie assures him that he is. The two approach the Dandridge place, Billy answering the door after Lennox knocks on it. Billy introduces himself as Jerry Dandridge's roommate, and Lennox flashes his badge, asking if they can come inside. Billy lets them inside with a very calm demeanor, and Charlie surveys the area. Two large statues of women rest at the bottom of the stairs, a string of cobwebs connecting them, and at the top of the stairs is a large stained glass window with two antique candelabras resting on either side. So I want to talk about the production design. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because this house is incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The way that it's designed, the way that it kind of evokes classic ideas of vampire layers. Yeah. And also a very, I mean, it's a suburban house. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But um, I read, it's a little conflicting because the production designer that is credited is John DeCure Jr. Mm-hmm. And his father, John DeCure Sr., is a prolific Production designer. Okay. And he actually worked as a production consultant on this film, is his credit. But the guy who was in charge of the makeup effects for the film, who we'll get to later, Mm -hmm. he did an interview where he said that the production designer of the film was John DeCure Sr., who brought his son along to give him a credit. That's what he said in the interview. Jeez. And so I'm like, well, what happened here? Yeah. (laughs) What the hell? Yeah, because... The the credits, I think Takira Sr. won three Oscars for his work. Uh-huh. He worked on Cleopatra, interestingly, with mm. Roddy McDowell. Oh, all right. And he worked on The King and I, Hello, Dolly. But the year previous, he worked on Ghostbusters. <laughs> oh, yeah. Which will come up again later. Yeah. Huh. Quite a bit. But Junior went on to work on Top Gun, Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. Oh, nice. Quite a few other films. So it's not as if he wasn't adept. Yeah. So it's just very confusing. And the way that a lot of people say it, they're like, oh, yeah, this is one of the films that uh, John DeCure Sr. did. And it's like, well, what happened? Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's very confusing. And it looks great, this house. It does. All the other sets in the film are fantastic. Mm -hmm. We'll get to uh, an apartment later that is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I just want to know what really went down. Maybe there's some things in that documentary that we were unable to watch. Oh, Yeah. yeah, maybe. I also wanted to point out that they had said in Fangoria that the stairs in Jerry's house... They're the reused and repurposed stairs from Gone with the Wind. Oh, (laughs) shit. What the fuck? Yeah. I think, I don't know if it's just a matter of them working with Columbia and the things that they have access to. Yeah. I mean, working on these old lots, you might find things in old places. Yeah. But I was like, that is wild. Yeah. That's very cool. And I should mention, uh, Junior worked on Ghostbusters, I think, as an art director. 
Okay. Where his father was the production designer. And there's a lot of credits where they do work together frequently. Mm-hmm. Oh, all right. So just for the record, they're both yeah. very talented. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Charlie roams around half unpacked boxes and a room filled with several vintage clocks on the wall. Billy shares that they're renovating the place, and when asked, he tells Linux that Jerry is actually away on business, but he's happy to help them with whatever they need. I was already. Why is Charlie here? Like, I don't, dude. That should not be happening at no, all. No. And he, like, is a little too big for his britches once they get into this house. They are. Yeah. He's like, you just need to shut the fuck up and follow behind. You shouldn't, you shouldn't even be here. Like, you should be home. <laughs> I took it like, you know, when Lassie alerts the cops that things are going on? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Lassie is there, too, at the arrest or whatever. Lassie's there at the arrest, but Lassie's not like, you know what? You're fucking full of shit, dude. <laughs> it's like, no, no, no. Rough, rough, rough. You know. I anyway. really didn't even pay attention to it until you said something. Now. It's I wild. Just it's like, a, mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah. Why are you here? It's like, are you his partner? Yeah. It's like, <laughs> Is this a program? He's new to the force. Yeah. yeah. The rookie? Like what? And this is a kid. Yes. Yeah. Like this shouldn't be happening. And it does get worse because Linux explains that there have been a couple of murders recently. And then he throws Charlie yes! under the bus. Yeah. He says that he lives next door <laughs> and he thinks he saw one of the victims in their house. Now, we don't know anything about Billy yet at all. Yeah. So it's literally just Linux being like, well, he, if you want to kill him, he's right, yeah. he's right there. Did I mention what side of your house yeah. is? <laughs> but Billy says that that's impossible that Charlie saw this because he and Jerry were the only people here last night with no one else in the house. Charlie declares that a lie, saying that he saw Billy carry the girl's body outside in a plastic bag. Billy's defense is that Charlie is obviously crazy. (laughs) (laughs) But he does admit to taking out some trash bags the night before. Charlie digs through a random crate in the living room. (laughs) I'm sorry, God. No, it's bad. (laughs) And after moving away all the straw inside, he finds a drawing or an etching or something inside the wood, the face of a girl who looks exactly like Amy. And we know this. (laughs) (laughs) Because Charlie goes, Amy? But then he immediately... We move on. We move on on completely. He never... He doesn't bring this up. No. No. I was like, what the fuck is going on? (laughs) Not only are you just blatantly going through their shit. Yeah. Yeah. They're looking at you. (laughs) (laughs) This is just wild to me. And then the piped in... Amy? Yeah. It was too much. All of it was entirely too much. But when Billy offers to show Linux the bags of trash that he took out, Charlie is emphatic that the bag that he saw had a body in it and not trash. Billy asks if he actually saw the body, and Charlie has to admit that he didn't. Okay, but you saying the body implies yeah. that there was a body. Yeah, it's like, so did you see this body? That was Oh, shit. <laughs> Sorry. I'm, I'm just going to put my, yeah. <laughs> yeah. my hands behind my back. Yeah, go ahead. Just go ahead. <laughs> Not did you see a body? Did you see the, the body? Yeah. That's suspicious. Lennox, what are you doing? Like, that's... <laughs> But Billy offers to show Linux the bags again, and Charlie says that he can prove that Billy is lying and suggests that they go look in the basement instead. 
Here's my question. Do you think that Billy was going to kill Lennox outside? <laughs> Maybe. Like, yeah. He's like, no, the bags are out. Here. Yeah. <laughs> I was very worried. But Lennox and Billy ask what's down in the basement. And after a moment of silence from Charlie, Billy says that the kid has obviously made a mistake and just tries to move Lennox along outside. But Charlie interrupts them, shouting that there's a coffin down there and he saw them carry it in. Lennox doesn't understand. And this is when Charlie goes too far. He says that in the coffin, they'll find Jerry Dandridge inside, sleeping the sleep of the undead. All right, dude. Again, yeah. we talk a lot about the delivery of a message. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. This wasn't it. What, what happened to that? Well, I'll just leave the, the vampire part yeah. out. Yeah. <laughs> it's the first thing. Yeah. It's the first thing you said. When you come at it like that, it sounds rough. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, what are you expecting? Uh, yeah. yeah. Let's, if you just leave it at a coffin, that's interesting enough. Yeah. yeah. Why do they have a coffin down there? Let's go take a look. Yeah. Yes. And he gives Billy the perfect opportunity to make fun of it. Yeah. He does his ghoulish fingers like Scott Hall, and Lennox just laughs, laughs with him. <laughs> but Lennox then breaks from the laughter and shouts at Charlie, asking him what he's talking about. And Charlie just continues. Jerry is a vampire. He saw him in that room last night. He had fangs and he bit that girl's neck. Billy just continues to laugh, but Lennox seizes Charlie's arm, forcing him through the door and outside. Billy watches from the window as the two reach the detective's car. The cop turns on him very quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he does need to dial it back a bit because he didn't see teeth enter neck. No. He yeah. didn't see that. He, he didn't. didn't. He saw some titties. He saw some sharp teeth. Yeah. He saw the teeth get close to the neck. Look, he, yeah. was, he was overstimulated. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there was a lot going on. <laughs> he saw a bat and an apple. See, yeah. he did not, yeah, you didn't that, see yeah. that. That is, that is fair. You yeah. didn't see that. And Amy told him nobody was going to believe him. She did. He knew. That's why he was like, I just won't say that part. (laughs) (laughs) But he did. Immediately. (laughs) But Charlie insists to Lennox that he's telling the truth. Unfortunately, Lennox isn't buying it and even threatens that if he ever sees Charlie's ass at the station again, he's throwing it in jail forever. <laughs> just his just ass. His ass. Yeah, yeah. That's it. You can buy a new ass. <laughs> oh, but I'm yeah. like, what what precedent is this setting? You can never come to us yes, for help yeah. ever. And that's literally that's what Charlie takes on for the rest of the film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but Charlie pleads with Lennox to listen, but Lennox just ignores him, getting into his car and driving away. As he speeds down the street, the street lamps eerily turn on with a music cue, and when Charlie looks up to the balcony of the Dandridge place, he sees Billy standing there at the railing, watching him. Charlie looks at his watch, making note of the hour, and knowing that it will be dark soon, he hops into his car, speeding away to Evil Ed's. Ed sits at his desk in his room, hard at work on something, but Charlie busts in and collapses to his knees in front of him. Ed asks sarcastically, and to what do I owe this dubious pleasure? I do want to point out that L Driver said this in Kill Bill. Yes, she sure did. And I don't know. Maybe this is where the line originated. I did read somewhere that there is a classic universal horror film. I can't remember which one, but they mentioned it there, too. Okay. okay. Love that. I guess would again, Ed's horror fandom. Yeah. And Charlie's like, I don't know what that means. Yeah. But Charlie explains that the vampire knows that he knows about him, 
or at least he will when he wakes up. Ed has no idea what he's talking about. And when Charlie clarifies that he has a vampire living next door and that he's going to kill him, Ed can't help but crack up laughing. Vampire next door sounds like a Goosebumps book. (laughs) (laughs) Neighbors suck or whatever. (laughs) That's a little white text on the side. (laughs) For sure. And you know, the art would be great. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But Charlie begs, <laughs> we really just abandoned that. Yeah. <laughs> well, we can all see it. Yeah. It's, a, it's a shared vision. It's amazing. <laughs> amazing. But Charlie begs him to explain how he can protect himself from Jerry. When Ed doesn't believe him, Charlie pleads with him once more, asking, Evil, tell me what to do. Ed tells him not to call him evil anymore. And when Charlie offers to pay him $8 for his expertise, Ed can't resist. How are you going to ask somebody for help and disrespect them while you're asking them? I do not know. Well, that that's the thing. Are there are they friends or aren't they friends? That. Because I can I, again, I know if it's if I'm teasing you and I know it's something that bothers you, but you know I'm I'm not saying it in from a bad place. Uh-huh. So I can understand, "Hey, don't call me that no more, fucker or whatever." You know what I mean? Yeah. You're talking to your friends. But they don't sometimes it's like i don't are do you even like each other yeah his it's not a stop calling me that it's don't call me that like he like gets upset it's very serious yeah Yeah. but then also you have the fact that he just ran into his bedroom he did yeah and the kids in this movie really do have car blanche to just walk into each other's (laughs) home and that's fucking wild yeah But with his head in his hands, Ed falls back into his chair, asking Charlie where and when he expects this vampire to attack. After learning that Charlie is anticipating it to happen in his bedroom tonight, the wheels begin to turn in Ed's head. He finally reaches for a golden crucifix in the mouth of a skull on his desk, and he tells Charlie to start with this. But before handing it over, he tells him that he must have total faith in it for it to work. He also suggests linking some garlic to hang around his neck and hang from his window and holy water, but he'd have to get a priest to say a blessing over it first. Charlie seems disappointed that that's all, but Ed reminds him that the best protection he has is that the vampire cannot enter your home without being invited inside by the rightful owner first. Again, this is all spooky shit that everyone knows. If Uh you watch horror movies, you know all this. You would think. Well, yeah, he's watching the same fucking yes! <laughs> show all the time. Why was why does he have more vampire authority than you do when you're the horror dude? Yeah. Or so you claim. Yeah. yeah. I'm just, I don't get it. I will say I am a little like, if I'm Ed and I'm like, okay, you got your garlic. Yeah. You got this crucifix and I'm giving you. Mm-hmm. You've got this rule about vampires and you're like, that's all. I'm like, get the fuck <laughs> out of my room. And give me my crucifix back. <laughs> Literally. Like, and your $8. I'm not, yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to keep that. <laughs> After the way you've treated me. Yeah. I've given you so much advice. Yeah. Again, I just, I think, I think what I'm going to be doing a lot here is just defending Ed against. Yeah. Him. Yeah. Charlie. He was, he was giving me strong cricket vibes. So I was. I-, <laughs> I can see that. I can see that. But Charlie asks if he's sure about that rule. And Ed promises that he is. Charlie thanks him feverishly before leaving in a rush. Well, we cut to Charlie at home, nailing his bedroom window shut. He smiles at a job well done and is immediately called downstairs by his mother, who tells him that there's someone she'd like him to meet. I was like, you fucking idiot. You don't own this house. Yeah. Why would he think that? Who the fuck do you think yeah. you are? 
He whistles as he rounds the corner and hums his way joyfully down the stairs. Now, <laughs> as soon as he's doing this, I'm like, oh, I know who's down there. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> There's no other option. Yeah. But when he enters the living room, we see someone sitting in a chair facing his mother, but away from him. As he steps a little closer, Judy officially introduces Charlie to their neighbor, Jerry Dandridge. His face still obscured by the chair, Jerry taps his very normal fingers against it, Charlie's eyes traveling up to Jerry's silver ring. I have to admit, I, I wrote a lot about this silver ring because I thought it would be important. <laughs> yeah, well, you know. It, it doesn't come up at all. <laughs> but I will say the fact that we see his fingernails are not long. Yes. Yeah. His yeah. fingers are human size. Yeah. Right, right. This, to me, I feel like I'm only gathering more evidence to tell people. Yeah. But Charlie's never like, but his fingers were weird last night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it never comes up. But Jerry leans forward very casually, saying hello to Charlie and standing up to greet him. With a Bloody Mary in his left hand, which I thought was very cute. That, yes, I agree. <laughs> he holds out his right hand for Charlie to shake. Judy, who appears to be dressed up. She was dolled up. <laughs> Mama is wet. <laughs> oh, wow. I was going to say mom's trying to get staked. <laughs> wow. All right. You guys suck. See? We're all vampires. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the vampires suck. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> His mom. All right. Yeah. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> Let her do her thing. <laughs> really? No, it's stop, cool. Stop blowing yeah. her. Stop blowing her. <laughs> but she tells Charlie not to be rude and to shake Jerry's hand. After a tense moment of hesitation, Charlie finally does, but he asks what Jerry's doing here. Judy tells her son that she invited Jerry over for drinks. Charlie is flabbergasted, asking his mother why she did this. But Jerry just asks if Charlie was afraid that he'd never come over without being invited first. <laughs> it's like not perceiving at all how weird this interaction yeah. is. This is not the first time they're meeting each other. Uh -huh. There's like, this is fucking weird. Yeah. And she's just like, Charlie, shake his hand. Jerry just laughs with Judy, adding that Charlie was actually correct. But now that he's been made welcome... He'll drop by any time he feels like it. He adds, uh, <laughs> with his mother's permission, of course. It's a really weird thing to say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Judy gives her earnest permission, remarking that it's nice that someone interesting has finally moved into the neighborhood. But Charlie backs away terrified, ready to leave his mother with a man he thinks <laughs> is a... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't believe this. It's look if it's <laughs> if it's two things we already found out, man. Yes, from you just sleeping and then peeping from your window. Mm -hmm. He's gonna break your mom's back. Then he's oh, gonna turn right. her into a vampire. <laughs> that's we what we've seen. That's what we've seen. That is the oh, evidence. We don't know that <laughs> part. <laughs> that's how he killed her. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's never been proven. <laughs> look at him, dude. <laughs> What? <laughs> He's all suave and shit. He's solving the window. <laughs> That's the appetizer for him. Charlie notices. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just moving on. Um, Judy notices Charlie's fearful retreat, and she asks if he's all right, and he assures her that he is, but he needs to get back to studying. 
Jerry tells Charlie that it was nice to meet him and that he'll see him <laughs> soon. <laughs> Charlie stumbles his way back upstairs. <laughs> now, JP, I know we watched this panel where Dorothy Fielding talked about her character in this film of Judy and she spoke of her obliviousness. Yeah. As a matter of her character simply not at all ever realizing that she's in a horror film. Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> and she plays it exactly like that. Yeah. She's got fucking work. Yeah. I mean, the the neighbor's hot. Let's invite him over for some drink. <laughs> she's just living her life, man. Yeah. Like, she has no fucking idea. Did you think, and I thought from this point, it was going to be more of like a stepfather vampire situation? Kind of that yeah. would have been pretty interesting, or and at fun. least that he would be showing up here and there to fuck with them or whatever. Yeah, uh, hanging out with his mom and is like, "I'm still here, fucker." Yeah, you know what I mean. But yeah, he I just, mean, he just got a bloody mary and he's like, Later. "Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you see what I can do." Yeah, yeah. and now I, I, you know, it's a revolving door. He can come in whenever he wants. Yeah, his. I mean, the purpose is, the, mm-hmm. you know, it was served. So just the one time, huh? Just you got to let him in the I once, guess. and they can come and go as they please. Well, because yeah. he really showed his ass, saying like, "Now I can." Come Come whenever I want. Yeah. Well, like if your mom says, yeah. <laughs> and she's just like, yeah, that's exactly, of it is. and it's very cool. Yeah. It's so right? cool. Spare with key it. is under that rock. Yeah. <laughs> but that night, as Judy sleeps peacefully in her bed with a mask over her eyes, Charlie sits knocked out in a chair in his bedroom, holding the cross given to him by Ed. Mom's definitely dreaming about Jerry Dandridge, right? Yeah. <laughs> but she'll never see him again. <laughs> <laughs> That's all she has. It's her dreams. <laughs> the score grows tense as a shadow sweeps across his bedroom window, and he's stirred awake by a loud knock. As he rises from his chair, the sound travels above him, and he follows the thuds with his eyes, finally stepping out into the hallway and creeping around through the darkness. Holding the cross in front of him defensively, he makes his way down the stairs, creaking noises pervading the area. As he cautiously makes his way into the living room, he realizes that the sound is simply branches scraping against the window from outside. He breathes a sigh of relief. But upstairs, Judy tosses and turns, removing the mask over her eyes but keeping them closed, when suddenly, Jerry, slightly lit in pink, appears in her bedroom. He stalks around with Judy none the wiser, opening the door and walking into the hallway. Now, there is something that I missed until the third time I watched this film. Okay. Jerry, there is a mirror on the opposite wall. Oh. Yeah. He does not appear in the mirror at all, and you just see the door opening and him leaving. Yeah, okay. That's cool as hell. Yeah, see, I didn't catch that until the second time either, and it wasn't until a certain point in the film that I was like, oh, okay, that's interesting. And then when I watched it again, I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing is, is Tom Holland, he said in several interviews, Uh and he's 100% right, he said the issue here is the framing of the shot. He said, you're so focused on Jerry, you yeah. don't even notice the mirror at all. Yeah. And he said, they put a lot of work into doing that digital effect. Damn. Yeah. And so it gets missed. But if you look for it, it's really cool. Yeah. But as Jerry closes her bedroom door, he pulls it so tightly that it splinters the door frame. With clearly bad intentions, he strolls into Charlie's room, whistling Sinatra's Strangers in the Night as he closes the door behind him. 
I read in some interview that he wanted to whistle whistle while we work, <laughs> but Disney wouldn't give them the rights to it. Oh wow! Yeah. So, well, I mean, it is a vampire going to kill a teenage boy? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you gotta understand so like, yeah. where they're coming from. Not yeah. like super on brand. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you can film on our lot, but you can't. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, 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 none of that. But Charlie, with his worries now calmed, heads back to his bedroom. He stares through his window at the Dandridge house, the light behind a draped window turning off, and Charlie appearing a little more relieved. So it's like, did Billy plan this on purpose? Like, is because he's got to be working on the other side. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, I think this is the point where I made a note and said, I think Charlie might be an idiot. Okay. Um, because <laughs> you know there's two people over there. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. You were just over there. You were yeah. just fighting and accusing that other man he's like well that's jerry. today that's jerry's bedroom <laughs> yeah <laughs> i know the layout of the house <laughs> but behind charlie blurry in the background his closet door slowly opens and step by step jerry approaches charlie after a sigh and a yawn charlie senses a presence near him but when he turns around it's too late Jerry seizes Charlie by the throat, and as the teen struggles to breathe, Jerry remarks that they wouldn't want to wake his mother, because then he'd have to kill her, too. He asks, right? I don't know why he needs buy-in. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, that's yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but he then hurls Charlie, flipping him through his closet door, the wooden blinds shattering. I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> yeah. That we're trying to not wake yeah. mom. Yeah. Let's make all the noise. Yeah. <laughs> As Charlie collects himself in the rubble, Jerry saunters over, grabbing him by the throat again and carrying him over to the opposite wall, slamming him against it and asking Charlie if he realizes all the trouble he's caused him, spying on him, almost disturbing his sleep this afternoon and telling the police about him. Charlie's legs kick in futility, shattering random knickknacks as Jerry drags him up the wall by his throat, telling him that he deserves to die. But Jerry offers Charlie something that he says he doesn't have, a choice. He tells Charlie to forget about him, and if he does, Jerry will forget about him too. This is a great deal. Yeah. It's a hell of a deal. And my mom. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Leave my mom alone. In, in every context. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of answering at all, Charlie searches feverishly through his pocket, clutching Ed's crucifix and holding it up to Jerry. Jerry squeezes Charlie's throat tighter, watching the cross fall from his hand, and he shakes his head disappointed, calling Charlie a fool. I mean? Um, he's not wrong. Yeah. He pops open Charlie's window with ease, the nails sticking out of the frame as Charlie is forced halfway out. In the struggle, Charlie knocks over a photo of Amy, which crashes down and is impaled through the white picket fence out front. It's like, that seems like a bad omen. Yeah. <laughs> the shot is great, though. Yeah. yeah. It was just funny to me that they're like, and this is what's going to happen to Charlie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Charlie reaches blindly for a mug filled with writing utensils on his desk grabbing the pencil he sharpened the other night and stabbing it through Jerry's hand. Very good. Yeah. Jerry immediately lets him go and recoils with a pained groan, facing away from Charlie as he climbs back into his bedroom. I read in Fangoria that the pencil through the hand was an homage to the pencil scene from The Evil Dead. 
Really? Oh. Okay, yeah. very nice. But a pencil jutting out of the center of his long-fingered hand, Jerry pulls it painfully through the other side of his palm as it sizzles and smokes. He pulled the metal side through. Yeah. Well. That stressed me out a lot. <laughs> well, the choice is the other way is a lot. I yeah, think. I was going to say, just, just, just keep going. Oh no! Yeah. I, I was against that. Yeah, no, no. Oh, no just yeah. The other no. way tapers at least. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, but no. this way was already in. I just, just get it felt out. like it, the pencil's already going that way. Are we really gonna the try metal. to yank and it the back? Eraser that is like a sensory that's really bothering me. I don't like it it erase any of the lead no. that got it. <laughs> <laughs> that's not what we're worried yeah, about that, you're like then you don't even need to go to the hospital nah, you're fine. <laughs> the wound sealed up what the hell <laughs> i did think it was interesting that so even a wooden stake just to the hand yeah even that bothered oh him. yeah because he was like <laughs> yeah. he was hurt no yeah. yeah and we learned just how pissed he is yeah <laughs> <laughs> Because he turns to face Charlie, and we see that his face has grown monstrous with thinning hair, pointed ears, rough skin, red eyes, and his teeth a fanged and sinister snarl. So there are several stages of Jerry's vampire makeup. Right. And we'll see more and we'll see less as it goes on. Mm -hmm. But I did read in Fangoria, this allegedly took eight hours for Chris Sarandon the application. Bam. It's latex. It's a bald cap, appliances of woven hair, finger extensions, fangs, lenses, sculpting. So there's makeup artists, hairdressers. Mm -hmm. It's very, very detailed and thorough. Yeah. I did read that he helped them too. Oh, that's cool. He was like helping um, put like <laughs> stippling stuff on his face. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I read an instance where they said, he sat for the eight hour application and I don't know if something else had run long and they were like, we can't get to it today. Like, I'm sorry, we can't. And that he was just like, okay, like I get it. That's fine. Dude. I stay like that. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to store yeah. like that. that. That's fine. <laughs> that he was not, he was very nice and very gracious about it and was like, okay, I guess let's take it off. Yeah. He's better I than was me. Like, yeah. I was <laughs> like, he was the fucking nicest man on the planet. <laughs> I um I did want to talk about the effects team in charge of this mm -hmm. because this is what I was kind of referring to earlier and it was because Ghostbusters had come out for Columbia in 1984. Right. And I guess in an interview with the AV Club, Holland was saying that Columbia really wanted to keep this team together. Mm -hmm. And so to kind of kill the time between the next big production and Ghostbusters was Fright Night. Yeah. And so Columbia was like, well, you can use this team and it was a big surprise to Holland because the team that they had is not a team indicative of the <laughs> budget. Yeah. Right. Or the film that they were making. And so it was kind of wild. Mm -hmm. The team was headed by Richard Edland, who was the head of VFX, but he won four Academy Awards. Okay. Star Wars films, Indiana <laughs> well, Jones. Oh, shit. Poltergeist. And Damn. so, yeah, yeah, this dude is like, obviously, I mean, working with Spielberg and George yeah. Lucas, yeah. not what you'd expect for Fright Night. Yeah. Especially when you're told what your budget is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, also on the team were Steve Johnson and Randy Cook. And I just wanted to share some of their filmography. Mm -hmm. Steve Johnson, he is credited with the design of Slimer from Ghostbusters. Oh, very hey. nice. He worked on The Fog with John Carpenter. He worked on Predator. 
He worked on Videodrome with David Cronenberg. He worked on An American Werewolf with, in London. London. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Very important distinction. Yes. <laughs> and that will be important later. Yeah. But he also worked on Doc Ock and Spider-Man 2. Holy yeah, shit. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and Randy Cook, he won three Oscars for his work on the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Very That's nice. That's very fucking cool. I actually just started that over again. Really? He has oh, been yeah. watching that. <laughs> Perfect timing. I brought it up just now. <laughs> but Jerry growls and groans ferociously, sending a foul wind in Charlie's direction, which finally is enough to wake up the sleeping Judy. She knocks on her jammed bedroom door, calling out to Charlie, and Jerry goes silent, turning toward the door. When he looks back at Charlie, he's halfway returned to his presentable self, threatening Charlie silently with his claws until he fully returns to his human form. <laughs> Charlie cowers at the window as Judy's knocking continues, and Jerry makes a reluctant exit through the window in the hallway. I don't understand any of this. <laughs> it's like, why doesn't Jerry... Charlie's already been to his house accusing him of some shit. Mm -hmm. So if Charlie goes missing or he dies or something, you already look suspicious. Yeah. Why are we so against doing the same thing to his mom? And why isn't Charlie like, mommy's in here. He's a fucking vampire. <laughs> look at him. Look at him it's right like, now. Yeah. Like, he's protecting him. And I don't get it. Well, it's like. Call it's, that specific detective. Like, yeah. It's like, I don't know. You know, it almost feels like a gentleman's agreement. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm like, why are we doing this? We duel at noon. Yeah. <laughs> we leave moms out of it. Yes. This is very, very funny to me. And he, he he does with his claws. He's like, I'll get yeah. you for this. Yeah. But what happens now? We both know that each other knows. Yeah. yeah. Where do we go from here? Yeah. And like you were saying at the beginning, T, where do we go from here? Yeah. It's confirmed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Suspicions are confirmed. He's a fucking vampire. Yeah, yeah dude. I and, was right. And I yeah. think <laughs> I think that's kind of the problem with the pacing. Yeah. Because we have a lot to go, but it's like everything's established. Yeah. I rewatched it again this morning and there's a scene that happens later. And I was like, man, this would be so much more suspenseful and like edge of your seat if we didn't. Know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I but, agree. You know, we do know. But Charlie closes and locks his window, and Judy somehow makes it out of her room, meets Charlie in the hall, and asks if he's all right. He claims that he just had a nightmare, and Judy reveals that she had one last night, too. <laughs> Not about vampires, it was something about being naked at the grocery store or something? Yeah. <laughs> no. yeah. That is a nightmare. That yeah. is a nightmare. But she's interrupted by a loud, crashing clatter outside. Charlie looks out of the window, and he just lies, excusing it as raccoons in the garbage, telling his mother to go back to sleep. More of this. Yeah. It's like, no. Yeah. I. Th what we learn it was is fucking hilarious, <laughs> because Charlie saw it happen. Yeah. <laughs> and there's not a moment of, no! <laughs> He's just like, oh, it's just raccoons, ma. <laughs> like, it's just, it's wild. Did the raccoons demolish your closet door too? Like, yeah, yeah. A nightmare did not take place in this room. No, and I again, I was when I, I noticed when uh, <laughs> when Jerry was choking him and mm -hmm. he was pushing him by the door, he dead ass tore the lock off of the window. When mm. Charlie oh. goes to close the window, he locks it. You know, continuity. <laughs> <laughs> we've we've established. <laughs> But Judy asks about his nightmare, asking if he wants a Valium, but he assures her that he's fine. It's not a Valium. Yeah. 
She's not a regular mom. She's yeah. a cool mom. <laughs> she heads back to her bedroom, but Charlie returns to his room, sits down in his chair, and turns on Fright Night. On it, Dracula, played by Christopher Lee, turns into a bat and torments Sarah, played by Ginny Hanley, in the film Scars of Dracula. But Charlie's viewing is interrupted by his ringing telephone. Charlie fearfully raises the phone to his ear, and we cut to the Dandridge place, Jerry's blood dripping from his hand like a leaking faucet. The camera travels up to the wound as Jerry speaks on the telephone, telling Charlie that he knows he's there and that he can see him. (laughs) (laughs) I laughed because in the preceding shot, Charlie is bone dry, but now he is is drenched in sweat. And Charlie turns his head to look out of his window, and in a zoom of howling wind, he sees Jerry peering at him from the neighboring house. So I did want to point out that they did this shot by use of blue screen. Really? Yeah, because they were told they had two options. You could either use blue screen to kind of do this zoom, or, and they offered this, they said, we can literally move the entire set of his house closer to Charlie's window. God damn. And they're like, well, which one's cheaper? And they're like, blue screen. Like, well, yeah, well, <laughs> I guess that makes a lot of sense. I bet. <laughs> but Charlie drops the phone, but can still hear Jerry taunting him, asking if he's scared. He tells Charlie that he started this, and now he's going to finish it. Billy tends to Jerry's wound as Jerry reveals to Charlie the source of the sound that we heard earlier. Jerry has destroyed Charlie's car. (laughs) (laughs) So he looked out the window and he saw Jerry just ripping it apart. (laughs) And funny, I did hear in an interview that this was Tom Holland's car, that Mustang. Oh, Oh, wow. Yeah, and I don't think we ever see it demolished or destroyed, which Tom Holland's like, look. Yeah. Yeah. But Jerry tells him that that's nothing compared to what he's going to do to him tomorrow night. I was like, is this the Invisible Man? Yeah, I'm saying. <laughs> that was my note Me at 10 too. Exactly. <laughs> I love this Jack Griffin. Yeah. <laughs> make a date. And, I, and I, I don't know. I know. But did the bat rob that lady in the movie on the TV? What the fuck was going on on the TV? <laughs> I, was, I was focused less on the TV. <laughs> but that's a good question. Maybe we should cover Scars of Dracula. (laughs) Maybe we should. But Charlie watches, stricken with terror, as the drapes in Jerry's windows slither closed. Charlie's attention is then directed to his television, where he hears Peter Vincent posing a question to his audience. Do you know that there are a lot of people who don't believe in vampires? As Peter ducks under the cobwebs on his set, he says that he does because he knows that vampires exist. As he brushes the web from his coat, he proclaims that he has fought them in all of their guises, man, wolves, bats, and he's always won. And that's foreshadowing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But he declares that that is why they call him the great vampire killer. And as the camera presses in, he implores the viewer to watch him do it. Charlie then watches as an old film clip is played, and he sees Peter open a coffin, driving a stake into the heart of a vampire, blood spattering across his face. Charlie gets a little too into it. Yeah. (laughs) But I understand why this would be cathartic after what he's (laughs) experienced tonight. But the next morning at KBHX Studios, 
Charlie paces nervously outside the gate, checking his watch. But as soon as Peter Vincent walks out, dressed in a regular suit and carrying a case with him, Charlie rushes over. It is a little alarming that he has such access to this man. Yeah. Because nobody's watching. Like, he goes right up to him. (laughs) Well, I think we'll learn they don't give a shit anymore. Oh, yeah. (laughs) That is true. (laughs) Yeah. That's very fair. You're on your own, dude. (laughs) (laughs) But Charlie gets Peter's attention, telling him that it's very, very important. Peter assumes that Charlie just wants an autograph, but Charlie instead tells Peter that he's curious about what he said on television the night before, about believing in vampires. He asks Peter if he was serious, and Peter says that he absolutely is, but unfortunately, none of Charlie's generation seems to be. Charlie is confused, but Peter reveals that he's just been fired because nobody wants vampire killers on television anymore, lamenting the rise of slasher films. He was just on last night. Yeah. Yeah. So that's it. (laughs) Get out. I did in a lot of interviews, Tom Holland, this is really his... How he felt? Yeah. Really? Yeah. And it's really funny because he he has obviously a very astute knowledge of horror, Uh but he was talking about John Carpenter's Halloween. He saw it as kind of a blessing and a curse because obviously Halloween is amazing, Mm -hmm. but he said the the rise of copycat films. Well, yeah. Okay. And he said, you know, these old monster films that he watched when he was younger, they're dying out. Yeah. Yeah. And so this is kind of his commentary in this scene. Okay. But as he begins to walk away from Charlie, Charlie shouts that he believes in vampires. This earns a small smile from Peter, who returns to Charlie, patting his cheek and telling him that that's nice. And if there had been more people like Charlie, perhaps his ratings would have been higher. So this whole time he thinks that Charlie is just being like, yeah, yeah. you know, a big fan. Yeah. But Charlie's really he's going through yeah. <laughs> But when Peter turns away again, Charlie follows after him, telling him that in fact, he has a vampire living next door to him. Charlie asks if Peter will help him kill him. <laughs> this, is, this, this is a lot. <laughs> yeah. Peter appears mildly concerned, telling Charlie that if this is some kind of joke, he's not amused. He just starts to walk away, but Charlie grabs his arm, which Peter does not enjoy. Of course no. not. Well, yeah. Charlie tells him that he is deadly serious. But Peter excuses himself to his car, hightailing it away from Charlie and loading his belongings into his trunk. Charlie pleads with Peter to believe him, throwing his own words in his face about the belief of vampires, to which Peter proudly proclaims, I lied. (laughs) Yeah, what the fuck? (laughs) And he shoos Charlie away from his car, asking him to leave him alone. After a bit of awkwardness at the driver's side door, Peter quickly opens it and climbs inside. Charlie tries to reason with him, telling him that a vampire next door tried to kill him last night, then destroyed his car, and now he's going to go after him again tonight. But Peter just rolls up the window and locks the door, unmoved by Charlie's begging. He throws the car into reverse, staring horrified at Charlie as he speeds away. Horrified is a good word. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you were cool, man. Well, I I mean, you can play a character. Yeah. Never meet your heroes. (laughs) But outside of Charlie's house, Amy pulls up on a scooter, just in time to see Evil Ed making his way to the front door. Ed asks what she's doing here, remembering that she dumped Charlie recently, and she tells him that it's none of his business what she's doing here. When did this happen? 
I, I thought well, they were... Well, the sloppy Joe in the face is, oh, is yeah. kind of... I mean, that's a statement. I mean, you That's know, a statement. I... If you threw a sandwich in my face, <laughs> I'd be like, I think we're done. <laughs> <laughs> that's the last... That's... <laughs> but you don't understand there's a vampire in it. <laughs> that's the universal yeah. symbol of it's over. Oh, you're just mad. <laughs> <laughs> you don't lovingly feed your partner? Yeah, I thought... <laughs> <laughs> but shoving a sloppy Joe in their face... <laughs> But again, the audacity of these kids just walking into houses. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They both just head inside and he taunts her, telling her that she does like Charlie. But they head upstairs to Charlie's room, only to find him sat on his bed, carving a stake out of wood, surrounded by dozens of lit candles, religious iconography, and thick wreaths made of bulbs of garlic. All right. <laughs> Charlie might need some help. Yeah. <laughs> Amy is flabbergasted, but Ed almost looks impressed as he asks Charlie what all this stuff is for. It's like, dude. Ed! Yeah. That, that was my thing. <laughs> you know. It was all your idea. <laughs> yeah. You fucking, you took my eight bucks. Yeah. <laughs> Charlie says it's for self-defense, but he says that he won't need it because Jerry Dandridge will be dead by nightfall. He shares his plan. Whenever Billy leaves tonight, Charlie's going to sneak next door, find Jerry's coffin, and pound this wooden stake through his heart. Amy snatches the stake away from Charlie, telling him that that's murder, but he rises to his feet, stealing his supplies back and informing her that you can't murder a vampire. They're already dead. As Charlie prepares to share a taped broadcast with them, Ed sidles up to Amy, concerned about Charlie, and asking what they should do, he remarks... This is just like Fright Night. It's like, no, it's not. Fright Night's the, <laughs> <laughs> Fright Night's the, the show. The yeah. frame. <laughs> Fright Night's the frame of the show. This is just like Dr. Wolfula. Yeah. No, yeah. It's, no, no, it's, it's not. not. What does that mean? That means nothing. <laughs> <laughs> but on the broadcast that Charlie taped, we hear the newscaster sharing the discovery of another murdered body, the body of a woman behind the mall. Charlie states that he doesn't have any other choice, continuing to carve his stake and telling them that someone has to stop Jerry. Realizing that it will be dangerous for Charlie to go into the Dandridge place all alone, Amy suggests that he could use some help, someone like Peter Vincent. When Charlie tells him he already tried that and it was a dead end, Amy pleads with Charlie to let her and Ed try again before he goes to deal with Jerry all on his own. One thing I do love is just that everybody knows, like, oh, yeah, you can get to Peter Vincent. Yeah, everybody knows that. (laughs) It's very easy. But Charlie just tells her that there isn't enough time for that. And Amy asks him honestly, what happens if he goes into that house all alone and Jerry gets him? Who's going to stop him then? Ed adds that Jerry would be able to suck his way through the entire town, assessing that it wouldn't be much of a loss, really, but still. (laughs) Amy tells Charlie that it's going to be dark soon, and she knows that he doesn't want to go into the Dandridge place then. And Charlie admits that she's right and gives Amy his blessing to seek out Peter Vincent. Amy makes Charlie promise that he won't do anything until he hears from them, and she and Ed head towards the door. Before she leaves, Charlie asks Amy if she believes him about Jerry. (laughs) Her only response... I love you, Charlie. (laughs) So no. No, she doesn't. doesn't. Very good. Sure doesn't. But they're off. At his apartment, Peter opens his mail to find a notice of eviction. It's been a great day. (laughs) (laughs) God damn. As he reads through it, he hears a knock at his door. It's Amy and Ed who ask to talk to him, 
but he tells them that it's not a good time. How did they know where he lives? Yeah. It wasn't like it was at the station. No. (laughs) But as he goes to close the door on them, Amy attests that it's very important. Upon hearing this, Peter snags his shoes from next to the door, inviting them inside and rushing into his kitchen to change out of his suit jacket and throw on a casual smoking jacket. Ed surveys Peter's home, filled with horror memorabilia, as Peter asks what he can do for them, stammering suppositions like an autograph or an interview for their school paper. As Ed stands transfixed on a bus of Nosferatu under a glass case, Amy tells Peter that what they're asking for is much more important. As Peter ties his jacket, he politely asks what could be more important than his autograph. (laughs) Come on, man. I don't understand Hmm. how he's not drawing a direct parallel between these teens showing up at his house and this like seemingly deranged teen that he just met with at the studio. Like a couple hours ago. Yeah. He's like, so you don't want my autograph? (laughs) You know, I'm Peter Vincent, right? Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Answering his question at what could be more important, Amy replies, saving a boy's life. Peter understands. And as he hides his eviction notice in his pocket, He asks Amy to explain. Ed inquires if Peter remembers talking to a kid called Charlie Brewster. And when Peter doesn't, (laughs) Amy elaborates that he's the one who thinks he has a vampire living next door. You'd remember that. Yeah. Yeah. He does, finally. And he tells them that Charlie is insane and he hopes that they're not friends of his. Come on, man. (laughs) Amy and Ed explain that they need Peter to stop Charlie because Charlie is planning to kill his next door neighbor with a stake through the heart. Peter asks if they're serious, and when they assure him that they are, Peter suggests what Charlie needs is a psychiatrist, not a vampire killer. Declining their pleas for help, Peter tells them that Hollywood beckons, and that he's been offered a starring role in a major film. In fact, he had to quit Fright Night today to accept it. It's sad. It is! It almost, it's almost like some Baby Jane stuff, man. Yeah! Yeah. (laughs) But Amy changes her tactic, offering Peter money to help. A $500 savings bond, Peter goes, I'll take it. (laughs) Of course you will. Yeah. (laughs) But he immediately asks how they're going to cure Charlie of his delusions. Ed's idea is for Peter to perform some kind of vampire test on Jerry to pronounce him human. Ed says it's like Peter did in his film, Orgy of the Damned, where he looked in a mirror and the guy didn't have a reflection, so they knew he was a vampire. Peter admires a figurine, wistfully remarking that that was one of his favorite roles. He then reaches into his pocket, revealing a small cigarette case with a mirror inside, revealing that he still has the prop. Amy and Ed are overjoyed. This reminds me, of course, of Dracula. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where he gets that shit smacked out of his hand. Yeah. <laughs> and Dracula really does kind of give himself yeah. away. <laughs> but at the Dandridge place... The dozens of clocks on the wall begin to chime their unique tones in a pleasantly discordant chorus. A telephone rings as well, answered by Billy, who hands it over to Jerry, who descends the stairs. Billy tosses Jerry an orange, and he peels it as he answers the person on the other end. He says that he's always happy to help young people, but he declares that crosses are out of the question. He says that he's been reborn recently, smiling at Billy. Was anybody else completely fucking floored that they called him and told him the whole plan? Yeah. I. This is the strength at which they don't believe Charlie. I not Charlie. believe it. Yeah. I, again, are, are these your friends? No. I don't think so. I don't. 
But we cut back to Peter's apartment where we see that Ed is the person on the other end of the phone. And he shares with Amy and Peter that Jerry claims to be a reborn Christian and the use of crosses would be sacrilegious. Peter tells Ed to ask Jerry about the use of holy water, which Jerry also declines. I'm sorry, that is that. <laughs> is that not a red flag? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> is that not suspicious? And he's like, oh, no, no. Yeah. Not that either. No. No crosses, no holy water. <laughs> I, I think, okay, the crosses, like, okay, okay. Uh huh. But like the holy water, <laughs> no. Well, Strange. Why? Yeah. Very annoyed, Peter says that it's just ordinary tap water and all Jerry would have to do is sip it. At his home, Jerry nods in agreement, telling Ed that everything they're suggesting would be fine, but he tells them not to bring Charlie over until 6 p.m. tomorrow, because he'll be out. (laughs) (laughs) This is just red flag city. Yeah. Yeah. And you've been in enough vampire films. Yeah. I mean, Jesus, dude. But as he gets off the phone, he smiles in disbelief at Billy, telling him that he won't have to go out tonight after all. Charlie's friends are planning to bring him over tomorrow night to prove that Jerry isn't a vampire. He pops an orange slice into his mouth, unable to contain his laughter. (laughs) So, I mean, what's the end game here for Jerry? He's going to prove that he's not a vampire and then he's just going to kill Charlie later? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I don't understand what the plan is. Yeah. (laughs) Because even if everybody thinks he's lying, once he disappears, then what? Yeah, anything. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, that's a that's fucking hilarious. Actually, he's just having fun. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's the thing that gets me is you wonder. You know, obviously Jerry's a vampire. He's been living for forever. Yeah. How many times has he had to move around to different towns to do this? Mm-hmm. And is he is maybe that's why he is having to move around because he's fucking eating women in front of a window (laughs) (laughs) where anybody can see it. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe he's just not good at this. (laughs) (laughs) But the following night, Charlie waits nervously outside of his house with Amy and Ed. He impatiently asks when Peter will be arriving, but Amy and Ed assure him that Peter will be here. And just then, Peter pulls up in his car that he sped away from Charlie in just a couple days ago. (laughs) He steps out of his car, fully dressed as Fright Night's Peter Vincent, and he introduces himself as Peter Vincent, Vampire Killer. Charlie expresses his gratitude as Peter greets Amy and Ed and tells the group that it's down to business now, asking where is the lair of this suspected creature of the night? He's full character. Oh, yeah. yeah. Again, he is. he thinks that he's just dealing with a fan who's taken it a bit too far. Yeah. yeah. But Charlie points over to the Dandridge property, which stands menacing in the darkness of the evening, and Peter tells Charlie that yes, this is a distinct possibility. He removes a vial of holy water from his pocket and directs the group toward the house, but Charlie stops him, asking where his stake and hammer are. Peter says that he left him in his bag, but Charlie says that they can't go in there without them. Peter reasons with Charlie, telling him that they have to prove Jerry is a vampire before they can just kill him. Well, maybe just still have them on hand, though. Yeah. And I know that he showed up in full character, all the bells and whistles, whatever. But hasn't the illusion already been shattered when he ran into him at the <laughs> thing and he was like, I lied! Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's pretty They're clear. They're fucking yeah. vampires, kid! You and know? Uh, and yeah. when he's driving away, like, ah! <laughs> I think, I think, yeah. And now he's like, beat him! It's like, no, no, that's no. ruined! Yeah. Like, I already know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> 
But Charlie gets in Peter's way again, insisting that he already knows Jerry is a vampire. But Peter counters that he's the one that has to know. Now, I think this is my thing is that I it's not even a question. It's not even this big, ambiguous scene. Mm-hmm. No. We not only saw the mirror shot, but we literally saw him transform. Yeah. He is a vampire. He's there's, clearly, yeah. There's no mystery. So it just, I think I want, that's what I want here is a bit of mystery to where whatever happens next, Charlie could be like, huh. Yeah. yeah. That would be more interesting to me. Yeah. But Peter explains his plans for doing this, holding up the vial again and telling him that a single drop of holy water would cause Jerry's skin to blister if he is a vampire. And in this case, Peter has asked Jerry to drink the entire vial while they all watch, which Jerry has agreed to do. As Peter knocks on the door, Charlie fears that after Jerry's proven to be a vampire, he's just going to kill all of them. (laughs) I mean, it's a reasonable concern. (laughs) (laughs) Peter just shrugs it off, though, reminding Charlie that he's protected. After all, he is Peter Vincent. Yeah, but you left all your stakes in the car. (laughs) (laughs) Billy answers the door, introducing himself to Peter, shaking his hand and inviting everyone inside. Charlie reluctantly enters last, and they stand at the bottom of the stairs as Billy calls up to Jerry. Jerry enters the frame at the top of the stairs, silhouetted in front of the stained glass window, and crunches into an apple as he descends the steps. He reaches the bottom, promptly shaking Peter's hand, sharing that he's seen all of his films, and he found them very amusing. So firstly, I do want to point out that whenever Jerry was like mucking about at the Brewster home, he was all dressed in his code and all this yeah mm-hmm. yeah now he's dressed in a very sensible sweater yeah he's super cash yeah can't be a vampire wearing a sweater no. <laughs> and he's very amiable yeah mm-hmm. and he's really just making charlie look fucking crazy <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but peter accepts the compliment and jerry asks to be introduced to charlie's friends but he stands a bit in awe when he notices amy a look of recognition seeming to wash over his face. He breezes right past the introduction of Ed, but when Amy is introduced, thoughtful keys begin to play in the score as Jerry walks over to her, lifting her hand to his lips for a kiss. Amy smiles when Jerry says that he's charmed to meet her, and Charlie is not about it at all. After kissing Amy's hand, Jerry jokes that that's what vampires are supposed to do. Right, Charlie? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is already getting weird. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because Amy's a teenage girl. Mm-hmm. And you're like a thousand? Yeah. That, dude, <laughs> what? that's literally what I wrote. Uh, aren't they teens and you're like a thousand? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't like it here and I certainly don't like it later. Oh, yeah. no, it only gets worse. But everyone laughs at Charlie's expense. <laughs> and Amy remarks that Jerry is so neat. <laughs> These are your friends? Apparently. No, no, they're not. But they all join Jerry in the dining room, and he excuses the mess like a good host. And Charlie's like, Where's your coffin? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he asked if he has more than one. Peter scolds Charlie, but Jerry says that it's all right, admitting that he's quite used to it. And he tattles on Charlie for bringing the police over a few days ago. And Amy is flabbergasted. And I'm like, one kiss on your hand and you've switched sides. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. But Charlie has no qualms about anything he's done. And he acknowledges that the police didn't believe him any more than his friends do. 
but he promises that they'll all believe him in just a second. He urges Peter to give Jerry the holy water, and Jerry admonishes Charlie for his rude behavior yet again. Jerry remains calm, though, telling Peter that it's all right, and he requests the holy water from him. Peter presents the vial, and Jerry asks if what he's holding is in fact holy water. Peter affirms this, sharing that he saw the priest blessed himself. Ed and Amy give each other a knowing look, which is... If Charlie sees that, he's like, hold on, wait a minute. Yeah. It's clear. Like, yeah. I just, uh Well, and Jerry's like, this is a wink. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Holy water, right? A nudge, nudge, wink. Like we talked about? <laughs> yeah. The kind that we talked about on the phone earlier. Yeah. It's like, wait, what? <laughs> but Jerry looks over the vial before removing the top, and he offers a bottoms up before pouring its contents into his mouth. After swallowing it, he hands the vial back to Peter, and when nothing happens, Jerry asks Peter if he's satisfied, and he is. But Peter directs his attention to Charlie, asking if he's convinced that Jerry is not a vampire. But Charlie just stands there in disbelief, and Peter reminds him that everyone knows that a vampire can't drink blessed water, which leads Charlie to believe that the water wasn't blessed. Peter gets defensive, asking if Charlie is calling him a liar. And as Jerry stands there smiling, Charlie suggests a second test, proclaiming that if Jerry isn't a vampire, then have him touch Ed's gold crucifix. And he's getting really offended by being called a liar for someone who is lying. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the more dramatic you're... Yeah. Yeah. It makes you look better. But Jerry backs away, and Billy steps forward protectively, But Peter puts a stop to it all, seizing the crucifix and telling Charlie that he's making a fool of himself. Jerry adds that he's already caused his friends enough pain, and he asks him, you wouldn't want to cause them any more pain, would you? Nobody thinks that that's weird. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I swear, dude, it's like Charlie's the only one. That... That this whole like interaction they have with them when they're talking with them mm-hmm. i was sitting there and i was like look old man you don't think that these two dudes being aggressive towards this boy is weird yeah that was a threat yeah, yeah. that was a threat and billy literally stepped forward like he was gonna kick yeah. his ass yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like let's just call it what it is <laughs> but charlie looks back and forth at jerry and billy and then over to amy and ed finally relenting and lying that he's convinced jerry isn't a vampire Jerry beams a smile, glad that it's all settled. He puts an arm around Peter, thanking him for all his help and leading everyone to the front door. Billy stands in Charlie's way in an awkward stare down before letting him join the group. I was going to say, nobody sees him being held back and intimidated. Yeah. <laughs> Again. <laughs> because yeah. he was. It's like, can you turn around for one second? Yeah. <laughs> Please. <laughs> Jerry offers an open invitation to Amy and Ed, but mostly Amy that they can drop by anytime they want. Peter stands in front, taking out his case of cigarettes, but when he opens it and looks into the mirror, he sees the reflections of Charlie, Amy, Ed, and Billy, but not Jerry. He looks back and forth as Jerry more properly extends the open invitation to Ed as well, suggesting that they have the same interest in horror movies and the occult. Which, again, is foreshadowing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But Peter gasps, dropping the case and getting everyone's attention. You're an actor. Yeah. Yeah. Act. Not scared. You're leaving. (laughs) Like, just get the fuck out of the door. 
Yeah, but, but have, what do you, this whole time you're like this fucking stupid kid and then you do this? <laughs> cool. And then you're like, oh no, I'm fucking stupid. <laughs> well, it is funny because he's like, Charlie, you're so rude. Yeah. <laughs> and then now. But Jerry asks Peter if something is wrong, but Peter just stammers out a lie, excusing his clumsiness, collecting his shattered case minus one errant piece of glass Mm -hmm. and rushing all the kids out of the Dandridge home. They follow a hurried Peter back to his car. Charlie asking him, what's wrong? Well, come on, dude. Yeah. Like, you changed. <laughs> yeah. That was a 180. He's yeah. like, oh, let's, let's get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, he even got Charlie in that group. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but Peter just climbs into the driver's seat and Charlie finally gets it out of him. Jerry didn't cast a reflection in his mirror. He asks Charlie if he's satisfied before speeding off. Why are you mad at me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is what I've been telling you. He really yeah. said my name is Paul and this shit's between well, yeah, y'all. you brought me to this shit. Now I'm in danger. I brought you here because it's true. Yeah, but <laughs> <laughs> I just told you it was fake. <laughs> I set you up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's true. We set up a whole scheme. Yeah. <laughs> and it's shit now. It's... <laughs> I wasted my night. <laughs> made a big show about being called a liar. Now yeah. you got to admit that you were lying. <laughs> Sucks, man. But Charlie calls after the speeding car, yelling for Peter to call the police. But Peter is long gone. He's leaving kids, He's yeah. leaving kids there. He is. Hey, well, Charlie <laughs> left his mother, so. Yeah, well, I mean. <laughs> but Ed starts to walk off on his own, laughing maniacally that he's going home. But Charlie tells him that they need to walk Amy home first. As Amy stands in the middle of them and they put their arms around her, Jerry and Billy watch through the thin curtain of their front door. Jerry remarks that Amy looks just like her. As he walks away, Billy responds that one good thing about this meeting is that no one will believe Charlie now. No one ever believed <laughs> no. Charlie. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> so, no. You didn't need to do any yeah. of this. <laughs> But Jerry crunches something underneath his shoe, and he realizes that it's a piece of Peter's mirror. Mm. Mm. So I will say that this is one thing. Again, everything that has to do with Amy being this like reincarnated love, yeah, feels so tacked on. And, and it is. Yeah, this was added. They said to try to humanize Jerry and mm. give him more depth. None of it works for me. Even if you take out the fact that she's a fucking teenage girl, mm-hmm. it's it is not fully fleshed out. No, it doesn't. And as it goes on, yeah, it to me makes even less sense. Yeah, like, we don't get the full story at all. No, and it's so weird that Charlie has interacted with Amy after seeing that drawing. Yeah, and he's not like I saw your ass. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's what I was gonna say. Why hasn't he hasn't even said anything? Yeah, about it. your head's in a box or something, yeah. Amy. <laughs> yeah, and then never again. Nope. But again, I think a way of humanizing Jerry is kind of talking about his companionship with Billy. Yeah. Yeah. Because this is someone that he's been around and kept around for who knows how long. Yeah, that's true. I know that he's supposed to be like his Renfield. Yeah. Yeah. But there are a lot of moments that seem like it's much more than that. Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah. And that's infinitely more interesting than some half-assed story about a painting of a woman. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because it means nothing. No. No. 
It's a fucking picture of Helen Lyle in there. <laughs> <laughs> it was always you, Amy. <laughs> what? <laughs> but out on the street, Ed suggests that they take a shortcut through a dark alley, and Charlie disagrees, saying that they need to stay where there's more lights and more people. Annoyed, Ed reminds Charlie that vampires aren't real. But Charlie supposes, what if Ed is wrong, Jerry is a vampire, and he thinks that Ed knows it. This conversation would make a lot more sense if Peter didn't just say... Oh, that oh, was the fucking yeah. yeah. <laughs> Maybe. He didn't cast a yeah. reflection. Was Ed within earshot? I'm like, did you not hear him? <laughs> yeah, and you guys went to go hire him. Yes. He's not acting the way he was before yes. at all. Or no. even for Charlie to say, Peter Vincent even said. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But everybody's acting like yeah. that. That never happened. At all. <laughs> but he asks if Ed would walk down a dark alley in that case. As they peer down the long alleyway, smoke rising in the distance, Ed just retorts, Oh, fuck you, Brewster. Again, best friends. Mm -hmm. Ed turns to walk off alone, but Charlie grabs his arm, suggesting that he just stick with them. But Ed is defiant, insisting that he isn't chicken shit like Charlie is. He walks off into the darkness, and Amy asks what they should do. Charlie remarks that they should just let him go, telling her that no vampire would want him anyway. They'd probably get blood poisoning. That's mean. <laughs> yeah. Why? I don't. Charlie's an asshole, yeah. dude. <laughs> That's fucking mean. It's like Andy's nasty. Yeah. Like, and he doesn't wash. It's like, gee, <laughs> what the hell? What is that about? That was personal. Yeah. yeah. That was before this week that you've been holding yeah, on to that. that but as they walk away, after only a few steps, Ed shrieks into the night from the darkness of the alley. They run to his rescue, only to find him sunk to the ground against the wall, clutching his neck. Charlie shouts that he warned him not to go off alone. Ed says that Jerry got him. He bit him. And he tells Charlie that he knows what he has to do. He has to kill him. What I love is they really think that fucking Jerry just did a drive-by. <laughs> yeah. Bit him and, yeah. Yeah. and he just flew away. <laughs> like, why wouldn't he take care of all three? <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> if he's this swift, yeah, I just don't get it. But Ed urges Charlie to kill him before he turns into a vampire and gives him a hickey. He lunges for Charlie, who rises to his feet, calling Ed an asshole. Amy and Ed just laugh at the prank. Ed's surprised that Charlie believed him at all, which I am too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but Amy too, what are you doing? She's like, that's pretty funny, Charlie. Yeah. yeah she's like, Charlie, you are pretty funny. Are you with stupid. Chuck or not, man? What is happening <laughs> not here? Chuck. She's like, look at this dumbass. Yeah. She all spits on him. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? Let's go, Ed. <laughs> Charlie vows that Ed will get his someday as he puts his arm around Amy and they walk away. Ed asks how he'll get his. When a vampire bites him, he repeats, there is no such thing as vampires. He walks off into the night, silhouetted, but from a bird's eye view, something follows him from above on a rickety fire escape. It glides down in a gust of wind, and suddenly, following close behind Ed, is Jerry Dandridge. Ed continues through the alley, appearing a little fearful when he hears footsteps behind him. He assumes it's Charlie and Amy, and he tells them that he isn't scared of them. But a long shadow is cast from around the corner through the smoke, and as guitars screech in the score, 
Jerry makes his presence known, staring at Ed from a distance. I really like the score here. Yes. Now that you mention it, it's very good. It's so good. And not only the score, but these like classic horror shots. Yeah. yeah. The the smoke through the alley, the darkness. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. But Ed takes off running, hiding amongst trash bags and cans. But as soon as Jerry continues his casual pursuit, Ed runs as fast as he can down an adjacent alley. Unfortunately for him, he reaches a dead end. He turns around as smoke rises all around him. But just as soon as it arrives, it starts to dissipate. I was like, what's that about? (laughs) (laughs) Relief washes over him, but through the darkness behind him, Jerry appears, startling him and causing him to stumble to the ground. Jerry calmly tells Ed that he doesn't have to be afraid of him. He says that he knows what it's like to be different. He promises that they won't pick on Ed anymore or beat him up. Jerry will see to that. All Ed has to do is take his hand. He offers it, and tears filling Ed's eyes and streaming down his cheeks, he takes Jerry's hand. Jerry lifts him to his feet and wraps his long coat around both of them like a cape. It was the cradling in the coat. Yeah. I was like, poor Ed. Yeah. yeah. Well, that duster's pretty sweet. Oh, it's It was great. sweet. It was sweet. I'm not going to burn it. No. No. <laughs> I will say, and this is where it really begins, all the sympathy I feel for Ed. Yeah. yeah I felt, here I did, I was like, okay, I, I, I felt a little bad for him. Yeah. And I mean, and that's the thing that really gets me is that he's being bullied. Yeah. yeah. And Charlie's just like, evil, evil. Yeah. yeah. Fuck like, off. It's yeah. like, what? It's like, but Jesus. help me. Help yeah. me though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I need your expertise. What the fuck? And so I, he's getting it from all sides and it's like, how do you not, it's the underdog thing. Yeah. yeah. How do you not root for this character? I'm like, I don't, I don't care what happens to Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> Let Jerry win. <laughs> But Ed's screams echo loud enough for Charlie and Amy to hear them, and Charlie is unnerved by them. Amy just assumes that Ed is fucking around again and yells for him to cut it out, but Charlie wonders if he might actually be in trouble. Amy's like, how stupid are you? (laughs) We already got you once. But this is the boy who cried wolf. That's I literally wrote this in... Yeah. That's the instance, not Charlie. Yeah. But as they continue to walk off together, a light bursts above them in an explosion. I was like, did Ed explode? <laughs> <laughs> <What happened? laughs> Charlie holds Amy's hand, praying that it's just a power outage. And Amy asks what else it could be. And they find it. A power box with its cables ripped out, spewing sparks and a small fire burning at the bottom. A shadow hangs above them and they hear what sounds like wind under a flutter of large wings. They take off running, finding a large group of people standing outside of club radio. They watch as Jerry rounds the corner through the fog, and instead of staying with the large group of people, they keep running and glancing back. That's my exact note, is it's probably smarter to stay with the crowd. I mean, is he really, is he going to murk all these people? And if he does, then he deserves me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he, he wanted, wanted more. more. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta respect it. Yeah. <laughs> but when they turn their attention back in front of them, Jerry now stands there with his hands in his pockets. It's like, I'm seeing double here. Yeah. <laughs> Four Jerry's. <laughs> Charlie and Amy make a beeline down an adjacent alley, and Jerry just stands behind them in the distance. But they suddenly stop, staring in disbelief as Jerry then steps out of the alleyway right in front of them. It's a pretty cool sequence. Yeah. Yeah. But they notice a nearby window of a kitchen is opened, and Charlie helps Amy into it. A cook, played by Stuart Stern, shouts at them as they rush through and out of the kitchen inside. 
Armies of the Night by Sparks plays in the crowded club as Charlie and Amy run for their lives, forcing their way through a large crowd of dancing patrons and an array of colorful light to a payphone to call the police. What a fitting song yeah. to be playing. <laughs> oh, it's great. I will say a lot. basically all the songs are pretty fitting yeah. <laughs> as it continues. But at his apartment, Peter sits under the light of a lamp, but his eyes grow fearful when he hears a knock at the door. He asks who's there, and Ed announces himself. We see Ed all alone in the hall, his skin very pale, as he urges Peter to let him inside because there's a vampire out here. That's brilliant. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah he Who was is very it? honest. Yeah, yeah. yeah. he was. <laughs> Peter rushes for the door, wrenching it open and pulling Ed inside. He then closes it, locks it, and puts his back to it, breathlessly asking Ed what they're going to do. He's like, Ed, you look like shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You've been through it since I left. <laughs> Ed just lets out a sharp exhale of a chuckle, asking Peter what he is going to do. Peter looks confused until Ed turns his head to one side, revealing two bite marks on the side of his neck. So good. Yeah. Yeah. Peter's eyes widen as Ed faces him again, sharp fangs pointing in his mouth. He lunges falsely for Peter, who jumps in fright, which causes Ed to laugh his ass off. Ed admits that he used to admire Peter, and as he stalks him around his living room, he says that that's before he found out what a fake he is. He mocks Peter, his name, and his moniker before swooping upon him, going right for the neck. But Peter is able to seize his crucifix, and he presses it firmly into the center of Ed's forehead. It sizzles and smokes, leaving a scorched imprint as Ed recoils, falling back, holding his head and shrieking. Tears streaming down his face, Ed attempts to catch his reflection in a mirror, but upon peering into one, only sees Peter's reflection in it. He cries, asking Peter what he's done to him, his jagged teeth jutting out of his mouth. Yeah, I noticed his teeth changed too. Oh yeah, they did. Yeah. They did. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, like this, his reaction to this pain. Yeah, it's sincere. He is so yeah. good. Yeah, like, that's what I'm saying. Like again, his the tears, everything. I just believe it. Yeah, right. And I'm just way more intrigued by this character than literally anything that Charlie could do. Yeah. Right. I do, though, have a question about this now and something that happens later. Okay. But I'll bring it up. Then. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but Peter forces him back with the cross, Ed's face covered in sweat. Ed retreats, promising that the master will kill Peter for this, but not fast, slowly. Oh, so slowly. I love that he already understands the hierarchy. Yeah. Because yeah. he's a baby. He's brand new. Yeah. And he's like the master. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, dude, it's been 15 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> he knows where the bread is buttered. He knows. But Peter forces Ed back further until he's falling over Peter's couch. But Ed eventually rolls away, crashing through Peter's window as Peter stares in disbelief. The front door's right there, dude. You yeah. used it. Yeah. Unacceptable. He's like, if I wasn't getting evicted before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm fucked. But back at the bar, Charlie slams the phone down, furious that the police don't believe him. Amy is full of fear, but Charlie promises that he's not going to let Jerry get her, and he hugs her to him. He asks if she knows Peter's phone number, and defeated, Amy responds that Peter doesn't care about them, and that she paid for his services today. But Charlie says that it doesn't matter, asking once again for the number. But just then... 
Jerry ascends the balcony, relieved of his long coat, to the sound of Good Man in a Bad Time by Ian Hunter. That's really good. It is. No relation. No. He owns the club, doesn't he? Yeah, no. But Amy notices Jerry as he makes his way down, stalking his way through the dance floor as Charlie tries to connect with Peter Vincent. Seemingly in a trance, she watches him walk back and forth, closer and closer, until he appears right in front of her. He's just showing off now. He didn't need to do anything. Yeah. Yeah. But they lock eyes as Jerry smiles, and Amy steps forward, taking his hand and disappearing with him through the crowd. Oblivious, Charlie pleads with Peter to help them, telling him that Jerry has him and Amy trapped in a club downtown. I feel like I would not lose my grip on Amy while I'm Mm -hmm. making this phone call. You would think that. You would think that. Yeah. I'm so, if I'm Peter Vincent, I know this has become more real than it. That phone would just be ringing in my empty apartment. Oh, yeah, yeah no. <laughs> like, no. I'm sorry. After this scuffle with Ed, I'm not no, answering the dude. fucking yeah. phone. Are you, you kidding? You mean they remember where I live? <laughs> no. Oh, yeah. Fuck no. off. No. <laughs> but frantic and fearful, Peter stammers that he can't help them. But in the middle of the crowd in the club, Jerry wraps his arms around Amy from behind, who stares off into nothingness, completely vacant. His hands slither up and down her arms and trace her body until they rise up her skirt. She reaches behind her, clutching the back of his head as he spins her around, but she sinks to the floor before reaching her feet again and facing Jerry. They interlace fingers, and when the song changes to Give It Up by Evelyn Champagne King, they begin to dance together intimately, Jerry's hands roaming her body. They're grabbing asses. Mm -hmm. I mean, again, typically all for that. Yes. She's a teenager. That's the problem. I can't get past that. Like, that sucks, man. (laughs) Yeah. And I will say this scene, uh, they really want you to be a part of this seduction. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think this scene's about 45 minutes long. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, I did not expect an extended dance sequence. Yeah. And also... You're Charlie, dude. Your mom and your girlfriend. Yeah. Damn. Like, that sucks. Yeah, Jerry's like, I can do whatever I want. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do the kids call it? Riz? All right. Sure. <laughs> Is that a brand of cracker? Jerry's yeah. got it. <laughs> <laughs> Loaded down with Riz, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry's putting on the Ritz. Yeah. <laughs> That's, what you're, That's what you're saying. I yes, get, Grandpa. I get that, <laughs> yes. I get that reference. <laughs> But through this seduction, Amy stops Jerry when he goes for her neck. Her fingers trace his lips and she teases him with some suggestive placement on her way down, we'll say. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how else to put it, man. Charlie finally takes notice of them, rushing over just as Amy catches her reflection alone in a nearby mirror, her hands holding nothing but air. Again, looks cool. It's yeah. really cool. And they knew it was cool because they do it like three times. Yeah, they do. <laughs> Charlie demands that Jerry let Amy go, but instead, Jerry kisses her. Charlie attempts to take a swing at Jerry, but Jerry catches his fist, crunching it in his hands, remarking that Charlie shouldn't lose his temper, telling him that it isn't polite. It's not. I mean, he he's hasn't been wrong yet. Yeah. <laughs> this stuff with Amy's This bad. is wrong, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but the other stuff, yeah. <laughs> As Charlie crumbles to the floor, he cries that Jerry can't kill him here. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, I know I'm done, but <laughs> at least not here. Not here. Yeah. take me home. Do you know how embarrassing that would be? <laughs> but Jerry just chuckles, assuring Charlie that he doesn't want to kill him. 
but he wants him to bring Peter Vincent to his house, just the two of them. As multicolored lights flash around them, Jerry adds, that is, if Charlie ever wants to see Amy again. Why does he want Peter Vincent? <laughs> well, because Peter knows. Oh, because he yeah. figured him out. Yeah. Okay. So no pun intended, but I guess these are the stakes. Yeah. yeah. And I uh, I understand them and yeah. I but I think that the fact that he's a vampire living next door terrorizing people and the mom and everything this romance angle it just feels it, it's weird. I, yeah. I can even understand if he were to put her in a trance to seduce her to come back with him without a fight. Mm-hmm. But it's the fact that this is some kind of reincarnation of your love but we maybe, don't i mean maybe we kind of know that yeah and the fact that he's just like yeah well come pick her up but bring peter you know what <laughs> yeah. i mean like it's weird it's, it's really weird. weird like i don't understand he's abducting that team yeah oh yeah no he is without you know, a doubt honestly yeah. i said i said cut 10 minutes or whatever to streamline it yeah i think you can cut that romance subplot and literally just make it about jerry and charlie's mom yeah. Yeah. And that's it's the true. same thing. He takes his mom to his house and yeah. it's the same basic yeah. thing. Yeah. Give her something to do. Yeah. Because yeah. working hard. Yeah. <laughs> I I don't know if I'm correct, but I don't think we see her again in this film. Well, she's got to work the night. She's working. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she's not around. But Jerry pushes Charlie down and leads Amy away. Charlie isn't taking this in stride, however, and attempts to stop them again, but is intercepted by bouncer number two, played by Ernie Holmes, who leads him and Amy away. Bouncer number one, played by Nick Savage, suggests that Jerry goes someplace else when he protests that Amy is his. Shouldn't they be like these underage kids in this club? Shouldn't that be something too? Yeah. yeah, they're like, well, they're in here. I'm sure they're. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure we ID them at some. Someone point. checked it, I think. <laughs> their parents are somewhere. <laughs> but unreasonably angered by the bouncer's request, Jerry's hand becomes a claw and his eyes glow red. Again, if we're really trying to keep this whole vampire thing a secret, yeah, I was gonna say <laughs> if nobody believed, yeah, Charlie yeah. before, you've got to believe this whole club. Yeah. of people watching what's fixing to happen. He's I like, mean, look, I need to leave. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sorry, but he's shown his strength, like choking Charlie up against the wall. Yeah. yeah. He could kick this bouncer's ass cloaked. Yeah. yeah. He doesn't need to start showing claws and fangs and shit. No, that he is true. He doesn't need to. No. Yeah. <laughs> but the bouncer takes notice of this, calling out to his cohort, only to have his throat slashed at before being thrown against a table. His coworker, now up the stairs with Charlie and Amy, watches in horror, but before he can react, Jerry appears in front of him, grabbing him by the throat. He raises the large bouncer off his feet, snapping his neck and tossing him over the railing. So it's very funny, just like a bit of movie magic, mm-hmm. but the way that they filmed the raising by the throat is they literally just had Ernie Holmes like crouch and then start standing up slowly. That's amazing. <laughs> it's like just wherever you put the camera, you can get away yeah. with anything, dude. But as the bouncer slides across the floor, the patrons become frenzied as they rush for the exit. Charlie loses Amy in the crowd of the stairs, but she's recovered by Jerry, who once again puts her under his spell. Charlie peers down the stair hole, only to be met by <laughs> Jerry's antagonistic smile as he disappears with Amy. Charlie screams dramatically for her, reaching out his hand, and swimming through a sea of people, he surfaces outside only to watch as Jerry's Jeep speeds away with Billy driving, Amy riding passenger, and Evil Ed in the back, 
his eyes yellow, his forehead singed, and his maniacal laughter echoing into the night. He's really taken to this thing. Yeah. He, he has, yeah. It makes me think of how Renfield was just like, this is just who I am now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, you roll with the punches. Yeah. yeah. But we cut immediately to Charlie arriving at Peter's apartment, pounding on his door. Peter opens the door a crack, still chained at the lock, peering nervously at Charlie and asking if he's one of them. Charlie insists that he isn't, but Peter still tests him, brandishing his crucifix and forcing Charlie to grab it to prove his humanity. When Charlie clutches the cross and nothing happens, Peter lets him inside. He slams and locks the door behind Charlie as the teenager pleads with him, telling Peter that they don't have much time. He tells him all about his horrible evening, being pursued by Jerry Dandridge, but stops when he realizes that Peter is packing a suitcase. Can you blame him? No. No. And when he knocks, doesn't he go, who is it? Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? He's like, it's me, Ed again. No! Yeah. No! <laughs> Ed, I mean, again. He <laughs> <laughs> had to leave in a rush last time. Yeah. <laughs> but Charlie shouts that Peter can't just leave, and Peter just continues shoveling items inside his suitcase, telling Charlie to just watch him. I'm saying, watch me. Watch me. <laughs> I can't? Okay. Mm, yeah. Interesting. Sounds well, like a then, challenge. Well, then yeah. what's this? <laughs> Charlie pulls the suitcase away, pleading with him that Jerry has Amy and he's going to kill her unless they go to his house tonight. Peter is overwhelmed to hear this, and as he searches for a solution, he finds it. They'll call the police. But Charlie stops him, assuring him that it won't do them any good. He already said it's going to throw his ass in jail. Okay, yeah. but maybe if Peter called, he's a grown-ass man. That's true. Yeah, yeah, at the club. Yeah? Yes! I have two bouncers. One of them might not be with us anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you can call and confirm. And there yeah. was a lot of other people there. That is true. A lot of witnesses. Mm -hmm. He's just like, no, the cops are out. Yeah. <laughs> I, I made one cop angry. So, yeah. <laughs> so that's it. They're mad at you. Yeah. But Charlie says that it's just them and that they're going to have to save Amy themselves. Peter refuses, taking a seat at his desk, admitting with great reluctance that he was paid to be there today. Charlie already knows this. Yeah. yeah. And that surprises Peter that he does. He questions why Charlie would still want his help, and Charlie puts it plainly. He's Peter Vincent, the great vampire killer. Peter shouts that that's just a character in a movie. It's not even his real name. We do not learn his real name. I, yeah. <laughs> I love that he doesn't even no. say what his real name is. But I was thinking that he brought it up because he's like, I never got that savings bond. Yeah. <laughs> yeah by the way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So we will be paying him a visit. <laughs> now, where did you say Amy was? <laughs> But he grows vulnerable in his honesty, admitting that he's terrified. Thoughtful piano plays as Charlie grabs Peter's hand, explaining that he can't do this alone. He says that Amy will probably die, and so would he. He begs, please, Peter. Peter, unable to look at Charlie, apologizes that he cannot help him. I feel like the performance here is so good. Yeah. yeah. And we get all of this like emotional weight from Peter Vincent. Yeah. He has a full arc. He does. Mm -hmm. And it, like the wrestling with his identity, all of it. It's really good. Yeah. But at the Dandridge place, Jerry places a cassette into a stereo system and presses play. 
somewhat sensual, but also very similar music to the rest of the score. <laughs> yeah. I it begins to play and then I realize now that this is the same song that he was using to seduce the girl that Charlie was peeping at. So oh, okay. He's got his but remember that Reddit story with the guy that could only <laughs> I was gonna say could only bust to that oh, one. Yeah. Jesus <laughs> Christ. <laughs> This is a oh, family yeah, show, I dude. I forgot about that. That was that <laughs> weird song, right? That was on TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> I love that I thought better of it, but I still said yeah, it. Yeah, you just <laughs> Um, maybe this is just what he what he likes, you know? Yeah. That was my point. Yeah, you could have just <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, 2024 is just this is going to be We're off to a great start. <laughs> oh. But this music plays as Amy awakens in a white dress in front of a lit fireplace. She surveys her surroundings, and after observing several paintings, she discovers one on the wall of a smiling girl who looks exactly like her. Jerry, still facing the stereo, tells her that the girl in the painting is someone he knew a very long time ago. He doesn't explain this any further. (laughs) His shirt unbuttoned, he walks over to Amy, and she asks him where she is and where's Charlie. Jerry doesn't answer, He instead just removes his shirt and sits down in front of Amy. They begin to kiss, but when he nibbles her neck a little, she grows tense, but he calms her quickly. She slowly removes her dress and they continue kissing. But after a moment, Jerry reveals his fangs, sinking them in to her neck. It was more of the shoulder, but... Yeah, it was they, the yeah, yeah. they move the placement. Yeah. Because he clearly bites her shoulder and the next shot is just neck meat. Yeah. <laughs> but blood drips down from this neck meat <laughs> down her back as Jerry feeds hungrily and she moans in pleasure. Yeah. I think it's both. All right. But again, what does this mean? What oh. What is happening? She's, is he bringing back or he just bit Amy? Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I'm I'm confused because who the fuck is that lady in the painting? Well, I yeah. think he's, he's like, I lost you once. I play for keeps. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then he takes a bite. <laughs> I think that's it. And then he takes a bite. Yeah. yeah. I just, it's it, it's confusing to me. Mm-hmm. It is. And I, you know, the part of me is like, I would like to know more of the story of the, the woman in the painting. Yeah. But then that's just more runtime. I mean, yeah. fair point. Well, then don't start it. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> And then maybe that was the the drawing or whatever that Charlie saw earlier, but it looked like it was etched into the box, didn't it? I don't even remember at this point. Yeah, I was going to say so. <laughs> maybe they just took it out of the box and hung it on the wall. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. They were unpacking. Yeah. They were. But her moans continue and then fade away as we find Charlie in an overhead shot through the trees on his street. Shutters creak and branches blow in the breeze as the wind howls around him. He finally stands in front of the Dandridge place, a cloud of fog hovering outside the structure. But suddenly, a hand seizes his shoulder, its owner announcing himself, Peter Vincent, ready to battle the undead. He knows how to make an entrance. He does. He's a hero. Charlie tells him that this is serious, and Peter agrees with him, unveiling his large case of supplies. Charlie holds it as Peter opens it and rummages through it, itemizing, flashlight, stakes, hammer, and his cross. Charlie wonders what his plan is for Billy Cole, however, and Peter then brandishes a revolver, saying that it's from Orgy of the Damned. <laughs> <laughs> no, dude, it's a gun. Yeah. You're just going to shoot yeah, that yeah. guy. <laughs> Say, you I, can dress it up however yeah. you want. I've got something special for Billy. That's a pistol. That's just, <laughs> that means. <laughs> right, that's murder. Yeah. That, that is murder. That, that's murder. 
Charlie is unsure that Billy is human, but Peter, slinging his case over his shoulder by a strap, reminds Charlie that Billy walks around in the daylight, so he is human. Peter leads the way, and Charlie tells him that he doesn't have to do this, but he wants to thank him. Peter interrupts him, telling him not now, and he freezes in front of the house, taking it all in for a moment, and also probably fighting all that fear inside of him. Oh, yeah. yeah. Charlie asks him what's wrong, but Peter snaps back into action, assuring him nothing at all. They approach the house, Charlie taking a step forward onto the steps of the porch, a loud creak almost giving away their position. But Peter grabs his hand, asking him if he's crazy, and telling him that they're not using the front door, ushering him to sneak around the back. But suddenly, the front door creaks open loudly, in a way that only evil houses can do. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, it's over, dude. Yeah. Yeah. You know, just go. As they approach the opening, Peter steals himself, repeating... I am Peter Vincent, the great vampire killer, hoping to believe it himself. I like the uh, kind of uh, this Van Helsing Mm -hmm. coming out in him. And he's like, no, I'm going to do it. Yeah. I'm scared, but I'm going to do it. Because earlier he was just like, no, 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 no. He's gone. Well, let's see what happens next. Yeah. We hover above them in a POV shot as they step inside, the door slamming behind them. As they continue deeper, wings flutter outside as someone watches them through the window of the front door. Charlie and Peter creep up the stairs, but Peter stops Charlie, nervous at every noise. He even suggests coming back at dawn when Jerry will be asleep, but Charlie reminds him that Amy will be dead by dawn. Evil dead, too. Yeah! (laughs) (laughs) But just then... Jerry appears at the top of the staircase, dragging his sharp fingernail to splinter the railing. That looks great. It yeah. Did. And this is what I'm saying about them. Like, really, every vampire moment is serious. Yeah. yeah. Like, that's really, really good. But imitating Peter Vincent, Jerry announces, Welcome to Fright Night. Charlie and Peter are not amused, and Jerry crosses his arms, adding, For real. Mm-hmm. Like we're on set right now? Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is gonna be is this live? Yeah. <laughs> Peter Vincent's like, I'm getting paid for this. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Got a lo- little problem with my landlord. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but Charlie asks him where Amy is, and Jerry reveals that she's upstairs, and all Charlie has to do is get by him. His long fingers beckon Charlie forward, and the music grows tense as Charlie takes a step toward him, but Peter stops him. He raises his crucifix to Jerry, shouting, Back, spawn of Satan! But Jerry just laughs uproariously. To Peter's horror, Jerry's fingers surround the crucifix as he crushes it like nothing in his hand. As he pulls it away from Peter's clutch, Jerry reminds him that he has to have faith for this to work on him. Rude. Yeah, okay, but then why did it work with Evil Ed earlier? That's a great question. That's why I was a little confused. It's not like Charlie was doing Ed's crucifix. Yeah. No, you're right. And I was going to say, then why was he worried about him bringing it over for the test? Yeah. Because he's like, I don't know how much you believe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then he meets him. He's like, oh, it's fine. Yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll grab it. <laughs> but how do you not believe? You know now. Yeah. He's having his doubts, I guess. It doesn't make any sense. No, yeah, no, know. it doesn't. But Jerry tosses it away, and Peter stands frozen as Jerry slowly approaches him. But suddenly... Charlie holds his golden crucifix in front of him, forcefully shouting Jerry back with all the faith in his being. 
So that's why we needed Charlie to have his. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> but Jerry's jaw drops and he stands in a trance, a deep groan escaping him as he steps backwards, his eyes never leaving the cross. Charlie, overconfident, looks back at Peter, telling him they're going to make it. <laughs> and just then, Billy steps up out of nowhere, backhanding Charlie so hard that he falls over the railing. No, I don't think we are, man. Enough. No. Yeah. Jerry joins Billy in a tableau, looking like Billy and Stu from Scream. <laughs> <laughs> Peter just gasps and screams, and he stumbles his way down the stairs and out of the house. One thing about Peter Vincent is he is going to flee when he sees fit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we find Peter just next door, heading into the Brewster house and calling out for Charlie's mom. <laughs> I don't know what she's going to do. Yeah. He's <laughs> like, help. He's <laughs> like, I've never met you before, ma'am. But <laughs> when she doesn't answer, Peter reaches for the telephone, but discovers the line has been cut. He rushes upstairs and into Judy's bedroom. Relieved to see her outline in bed underneath the covers, Peter notifies her that the phone lines have been cut. But the figure under the covers reveals itself to be Ed in a red mop wig for some reason. Ed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who is this for? Because Charlie's mom is not even a redhead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think this is just for Ed, man. Yeah. <laughs> they had talked about it and they're like, well, this is indicative of his playful nature. I'm like, oh, well, we already knew that. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, this is a little wild. <laughs> But and did he know? I I don't. Who was he waiting or yeah. expecting to come back? Well, for all fucking Peter Vincent knows, that is what Charlie's mom's yeah. <laughs> hair looks like. <laughs> there there wasn't some dinner scene where they talked about their plan or yeah. anything. Nope. Like he and he knew where her bedroom was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like none of this works. <laughs> but the music grows tense as Ed rises vampiric from the bed, bragging that he knows the phone line is cut. Because he did it. As Ed tears the wig from his head, he's like, that's enough of that. Yeah. <laughs> it served its purpose. Yeah. Peter asks where Judy is, and through his fangs and frenetic behavior, Ed reveals that Judy is working nights, but she left a note. He retrieves it from his pocket, unfolding it to read it, and responding with sarcastic and dramatic hunger, because as it turns out, Charlie's dinner is in the oven. This is so good. Yeah. His whole performance, rent was due. Uh, yeah. I mean, he fucking, <laughs> he, he did the damn thing. Yeah. It's so good. Every moment. I did read too, because I don't know if this was in direct correlation to them not having a lot of oversight, mm -hmm. but there were a lot of people getting hurt and a lot of accidents <laughs> on this set. There were multiple instances of people getting hurt with the contact lenses mm. because they were the thick kind that you couldn't keep in for more than 20 minutes at a time. Jesus. They're hard. I know that William Ragsdale broke his foot falling down some stairs when they were shooting a scene. <laughs> oh, and I think it's this scene specifically with Ed with those contacts. It went over and he ended up wearing them for like 40 minutes. When you're all, it wasn't supposed to be more than 20 and his eyeballs were scratched from oh. them. And there's Jesus, something dude. later on that I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> like, it just sounds fucking terrible. But yeah. I mean, he he fucking brought it. I'm sure he was in a lot of pain <laughs> yeah. during the scene. But God damn, he's just so good. Yeah. The pain's motivating most of the time. I mean. <laughs> but Ed grunts and shrieks and advances on Peter, who cowers and runs away. He crashes into a side table, destroying it as he clatters to the floor. But suddenly... A wolf stalks its way out of Judy's bedroom, 
looking up at Peter with glowing red eyes as it snarls and growls. I was like, now there's werewolves? Yeah, <laughs> apparently. <I was> confused. <laughs> well, go the thing with the, the no, television. No, I know, I know. Yeah. I got there. But yeah. <laughs> at first I was like, what the fuck? His mom's a werewolf. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, that wasn't his mom? <laughs> Nate, did you so skip that yeah. <laughs> several scenes? <laughs> but the wolf takes off in slow motion, Peter readying one of the legs of the table in his hands, and just as the wolf pounces, he's able to impale the beast as it crashes through the railing, slamming into a chandelier and collapsing to the floor. Peter watches it from above as the wolf writhes in pain on the first floor, attempting to crawl away, whimpering. Peter slowly walks downstairs, watching in horror as the wolf begins to transform, its back paws stretching into the feet of a human, and its forepaws melting away and reforming into fingers. That reminded me of, like, it would come later, but Hellraiser. Yeah! Oh, okay. But the creature sits with its back against the wall, its breath ragged as the light of the chandelier swings overhead, small transformations taking place in the shadows as the wolf attempts to pull the wood from its chest. His face still partially that of a wolf, Ed reaches his hand for Peter, and Peter instinctively reaches for him, but has to stop himself. Ed collapses to the floor, his humanish hand unable to grasp the wooden leg of the table jutting from his chest. Peter can only watch as Ed slowly becomes himself again, audibly fearful of his own mortality, as he reaches for Peter one last time before finally slipping away into death. Peter watches in disbelief, Overcome with emotion as Ed's vampirism fades away, including the scar on his forehead, and he lies there motionless, a dead teenage boy. I was like, oh my God. Yeah, holy shit. I think of all the things witnessed in this film, I think I'm going to take away this the most. Yeah. Yeah. Because and it looks so good, too. Yeah. It does. From what I read, this took 18 hours of makeup. God damn. damn. And they had a few members of the crew, I had said, who worked on an American werewolf in London. Yeah. Mm, okay. All right. Yeah. All right. Very nice. Yes. But I think the thing that they talked about the most that gets me the most is it's almost like a disjointed transformation because it's asymmetrical. He'll have one paw, one hand. Yeah. Like it just, it works because he just got stabbed in the chest. So things are a little clunky right yeah. now. Yeah. I just, uh, and obviously his performance. Oh yeah. And then the performance of Roddy McDowell. Yeah. Like it just, I don't, I, it's surprising for the film that we've had so far for this scene to go like this. Yeah. It's very intense. Yeah. And later I'm like, okay, so if we kill Jerry, then Ed, Ed's going to be fine. Right. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, in conjunction with what I was saying about the contact lenses, I also read that they were meaning to put methyl cellulose on his mouth for it to look, you know, drooly and yeah, gross. Yeah. They accidentally put glue and they Jesus. fucking glued his mouth shut. Oh, wow. <laughs> what the fuck? I was like, come on, man. What? I don't even know how you make that mistake. Yeah. <laughs> But obviously, this is just a great example of practical effects. Mm -hmm. They had, I think it was 10 different puppetry operators. Okay. Wow. Working because you see different facets of it moving. Yeah. Um, a lot of it is really just Stephen Jeffries, though. Man, it looks great. Yeah. And he's phenomenal. Yeah. And even the part where like 
the wolf is crawling into the next room. That looked yeah. wild. Yeah. And that was, I think, a puppet. That yeah. looked wild. <laughs> but and I and I mean, it was Stephen Jeff- Jeffries with a lot of appliances. That's not. Yeah. Just the- <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure? Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what he looks like. No, he's I- actually a wolf. Cool. But back at the Dandridge place, Jerry carries Charlie into the room where he was making it sweet with Amy earlier. Jesus. <laughs> Is that Reddit's remember. I've turned that off since. <laughs> <laughs> Amy lies there in the fetal position, her back covered in sweat as Jerry drops Charlie on the floor next to her, remarking that he wanted Amy, and here she is. He drops a wooden stake into the floor, advising Charlie that he's going to need it just before dawn. As Jerry approaches the door to leave, Charlie asks what he's done to Amy, but Jerry just smirks, closing the door behind him and whistling his way towards the staircase. You know what he did. (laughs) Yeah. You know what he did. Look at her. (laughs) But inside the room, Charlie cradles Amy, rolling her over to face him, And as she does, the music grows tense as it's revealed that Amy's eyes are completely black and her mouth hangs open, sharp fangs pointing downward. Charlie pulls her tight in an embrace, screaming in anguish, which (laughs) Jerry's like, I love this song. (laughs) (laughs) But okay, I I have a couple things here. Hmm. This is when I'm like, is he turning her to like make her his queen? Mm hmm. That's what I'm kind of expecting. But then he's like, oh, here's a steak. Like, you can fucking take care of everyone. <laughs> yeah. um, it's just, I don't understand. It's very clear that that was added after because it does not factor into any of the, in, into anything. The paintings. Or no. Any no. Of that or- because, I mean, it would it makes sense if it's literally just trying to torture Charlie. Yeah. Yes. To say, I've turned your girlfriend into a vampire. What are you yeah. going to do about it? Yeah. But if this is the love of my life that I've been searching for like a fucking thousand years. Yeah. Well, I could be like, yeah, stay around. Yeah. Stay around if you want. I mean, <laughs> had that dance scene and everything. Yes. Yeah. It's just confusing. Well, in all honesty, this could speak to the lack of faith that he has in Charlie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he's not going to do shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then these contacts, she has three pair that she wears in the film. So I don't know which one it was, but they said that she was in so much pain during filming and she kept insisting just to push through and keep going and Jeez. they finally were like no like let's take a break they took them out and they had forgotten to buff them oh, oh my no that God. hurt my stomach to read like isn't that the worst thing you've jumped on like deflated isn't that the worst oh, thing man. you've ever heard i yeah. can't even and she's just like no like i can do it i'll just push no, through no, no. no. that is a yeah, nightmare no, no. that's horrible and i read it so now you guys gotta know about <laughs> thanks <laughs> thanks a lot <laughs> But back at the Brewster's house, Peter stares at Ed's lifeless body with tears rolling down his face. He finally steals himself, rising to his feet and removing the stake from Ed's heart and exiting the house with it. This really doesn't look good for you, Peter, at all. No. He's just leaving the body there. Yeah. What time does Judy get home, dude? <laughs> <laughs> On a mission, he heads into the street, staring down the Dandridge house, which only now appears even more menacing, fog obscuring it and emanating from it, along with a guttural roar. Peter looks down at his bloody stake, pressing on and disappearing into the fog. He opens the door, retrieving his case that he left behind in his hasty retreat, and creeps up the stairs. Charlie cries in a nearby room as he holds Amy in his arms, and Peter knocks on the door to get his attention. 
Charlie sounds surprised to hear him, and he alerts Charlie that he's going to break the locked door down and asks him to make as much noise as he can so he can do so without drawing suspicion. Charlie begins to bang on the walls and scream for help as Peter slams against the door. Down below in the basement, Billy fills the coffin with dirt, and in a bird's eye shot, Peter munches an apple slice from his knife, smirking and remarking that he thinks Amy just opened her eyes. So I did. This was uh, Dracula again with the soil of the ancestral home. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was pretty cool. That is cool. But Peter finally breaks the door down, ordering Charlie to grab Amy so they can get out of here. Charlie says that they can't and reveals that Amy has been made a vampire. Peter's stunned silence and Charlie's lack of screams alerts Jerry to the fact that they have a visitor in a returning Peter Vincent. Upstairs, Charlie asks if it's too late to save Amy. And as Peter opens up his case and retrieves his hammer and a crucifix, he shares that they can save her life if they kill Jerry before dawn. He says that so far, it's been exactly like it was in the movies, and they just have to keep hoping. That's <laughs> that's kind of wild. Man. Yeah. But I mean, what else can you do? Nothing. But that's why I came to ask you for help yeah. those yeah. days ago. And he was like, fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unbeknownst to them, in a POV shot, something glides to the outside window, breathing heavily with their vampiric hand outstretched as Charlie and Peter exit the room. Charlie holds Peter's crucifix out in front as Peter wields his hammer in bloody stake, rounding the corner to meet Billy at the bottom of the stairs. He mocks them sarcastically, and as he advances towards them, Peter draws his gun. Billy is undeterred even when Peter pleads with him to withdraw so he doesn't have to shoot him. The gun nearly pressed against Billy's forehead, Peter pulls the trigger, the bullet piercing Billy's skull and sending him tumbling down the stairs. I was very surprised. What, that it was seemingly just done? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was I'm like, like, there's no it. fucking yeah. way. <laughs> Jerry returns from behind them like he heard a knock at the door, but is immediately kept at bay by Charlie's cross. He shields his eyes, which are now red, and Charlie brags that they have him. His fangs at the ready, Jerry asks, do you? <laughs> Before running away. And Charlie's like, he, he goes, what does that mean? Dude! <laughs> I, I, I think here I was like, oh man, Charlie, what the <laughs> fuck? Yeah, he sucks. Yeah. He does. No pun intended. <laughs> Peter assumes Jerry was only bluffing, but behind them, Billy lurches up like the undertaker. <laughs> He follows them up the stairs, a creak giving away his advancement, and with blood pouring down his face, Peter gasps, firing the gun into Billy's torso over and over again. When the smoke clears, Billy presses on, reaching his arms out for Peter and seizing him. He lifts Peter up, but leaves his chest wide open for Charlie to drive in the stake that Jerry gave him to use on Amy. As it pierces his chest... Billy drops Peter and stands there frozen for a moment before green liquid begins to pour from him. He stares at it puzzled, raising his misshapen hands as it pours from them too and through his pant legs. I bet he had Taco Bell. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> it's like, I hope that's my vampire blood. Yeah. <laughs> but he shrieks as his head begins to collapse in on itself, his flesh crumbling away and giving way to bone. 
The liquid is followed by sand as his face decays to a skull, and he falls back, a clatter of bones tumbling down the stairs, and the errant stake with no heart to have a home in falls down the steps as well. How are you going to get him, skeleton power? <laughs> no, but what the fuck was he? It's a creature. Okay. Just a vague creature. Yeah. I cool. mean, my, and I, I don't I don't know. Yeah. I was going to try to. Cool. I'm into it. Yeah, I, I guess. But then, I mean, I'm also confused by something else that happens later because it seems like a stake in the heart is a pretty sure thing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, look what happened to this guy. Yeah. <laughs> But Billy's skull slides to a stop across the floor, and after standing in awe of what they've just witnessed, Charlie remembers Amy. The two rush back to the room, Charlie checking on Amy, who begins to stir awake, her eyes yellow and her fangs sharp. And her hair longer. Yeah, yeah. also true. And what the fuck is taking her so long? Ed took to this like a fish to water. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's <laughs> immediate. <laughs> Peter sticks his head out of the window to look around, and through the fog, he doesn't see or hear Jerry perched above him. Peter returns inside before he can be seized, Charlie worried that they're running out of time. They exit the room, and for no real reason, but perched on the roof in full ghastly vampire appearance, (laughs) Jerry calls out to Amy, commanding her to awaken. It's like, why are you looking like this? (laughs) I get it, you're pissed off, I'd be pissed off too, but I don't know, I don't know. But as Amy does awaken, he asks her to prove her love for him by killing Charlie and Peter. As Amy rolls over, Jerry bashes the chimney with his elbow, alerting Charlie to his whereabouts, and he rushes off to find him. Peter goes to join him, but is distracted by Amy's groans and growls. When he goes to check on her, he finds her wide awake and in a threatening posture, but as she begins to battle against her own vampirism, Peter just shuts the door to let her deal with all that. (laughs) (laughs) and we do see her hair is like past her shoulders yes i think um amanda burris had talked about i guess like a kind of a fake breast situation going on as well really i know that she brought the prosthetic to a convention and signed it and stuff it did make me laugh because i get that we're trying to convey her as you know, young and whatever with Charlie. And then we're trying to get a more mature sexual version of her with um, Dandridge. Yeah. But it's funny to me that the evolution was them just taking a clip out of her hair. When they're like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, she's a woman. Yeah. It's like, what, what is this? I say Jerry got the raw end of the deal. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if fucking this is what I look like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dude. Right? And then later I'm like, what is happening? Yeah. <laughs> But Peter returns to the hall to meet Charlie, who couldn't find Jerry on the roof. But suddenly, Jerry floats in smoke outside of the window before floating away, leading them to believe that he's headed downstairs. This reminded me of Salem's Lot. Okay. For sure. But suddenly, Jerry crashes through the stained glass window, returning to terrorize Charlie and Peter. He stands at the top of the stairs, feigning fear as Peter raises the crucifix at him. But then he just cackles reminding Peter that he has to have faith for it to work. But he doesn't realize that behind him, through the broken window, the sky is turning hues of pink and purple. As he marches forward, Peter raises the cross again, this time full of faith, causing Jerry to stop dead in his tracks. Suddenly, all the clocks begin to chime. Jerry responds in full fear and confusion as Peter tells him, You're out of time, Mr. Dandridge. 
He orders him to look over his shoulder, and as the sun pierces through the window, Jerry screams in anguish, diving over the railing, and his shadow transforms from a vampiric human to that of a vampire bat. First of all, that looks amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I had read that Richard Edlin was worried about them doing this transformation on screen because it might not look convincing. Okay. And so it was his idea to just hide literally everything in shadow. (laughs) But it works. It does. Yeah. And I love that, again, all the lore is here. The sun, Mm -hmm. the bats, the everything. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's there. This is, you, you feel Holland's respect? Yeah. But the bat flies for Peter, knocking him to the ground, but Peter is able to keep him at bay. Charlie rushes to help, but the vampire bat sinks his teeth into Charlie's arm. The sun becoming brighter now, Jerry retreats, flying away toward the basement and knocking over a marble bust in his retreat. As it shatters to the floor, Peter checks on Charlie, who promises he's okay, before they head down into the basement in pursuit. I was like, that was fast. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's just a little sunlight. I mean, yeah. yeah. Um, I did want to talk about this bat for a little bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> for a little bit. Just for a little bit. Just for about 30 seconds of your time. <laughs> um, they had talked about it in Fangoria. Right. It was designed by Johnson and Cook, who we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. But it had an eight-foot wingspan, and it took seven people to control it. Yeah. It was an animatronic controlled by cables. Okay. And so the funny thing is that McDowell, whenever he had the stick in the bat's mouth, yeah, he accidentally dislodged its jaw. Uh, and so it took two days of repairs oh my God. for them to fix it. And I think what they said was they had to come back like a week or two later and film the shots of the bat's face. Okay. But they had already shot everything else. And so they're matching it to what they've already shot. Yeah, yeah. And you never feel it. No. That editing is good. Yeah. (laughs) The thing with Amy earlier. Yeah. Well, this is more important. (laughs) It is much more important. But they cautiously creep into the darkness of the basement, Peter and Charlie switching on lamps to light their way as they search for Jerry's coffin. When Charlie hears something creak open, he heads off by himself with the crucifix in front of him. Light pouring in through a small staircase, Amy's shadow is cast against the wall as she enters the room through a haze of smoke. Like you were saying earlier, I don't know how Jerry becomes this grotesque, scary monster and Amy turns into Nicole Kidman. (laughs) (laughs) How did you do that? (laughs) But Charlie tells her that it's him. And she snarls at him, telling him that she knows. But on the other side of the room, Peter discovers a secret passage through a bookshelf, opening it up to find two sealed coffins. He calls out to Charlie, but he's too busy to respond, as Amy approaches him and he lowers his crucifix. Amy runs her fingers through her hair, asking if he wants her anymore. But when she lunges for him, Charlie raises the crucifix, causing her to turn away and shield her face with her hands. She cries that it's not her fault. Charlie promised that he wouldn't let Jerry get her. He promised. And he did. Yeah. He did. That's gotta hurt. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Charlie reaches for her, and she reveals her mouth, carved open in a massive grin of sharp teeth. I loved this. Yeah. I was like, oh, so there it is. That's what the cover (laughs) is. Yeah. All right. All right. And also, it's closer to Jerry's whatever he's got going on. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we can get worse. (laughs) (laughs) But she snarls for Charlie, who seeks refuge amongst the cluttered basement. Meanwhile, Peter is hard at work, smashing into Jerry's coffin and opening it to reveal the vampire in slumber. It's just like the scene from his film. Yeah. Yeah. 
As he goes to stake him, Amy seizes Charlie, who calls out to Peter, distracting him momentarily. Jerry awakens, but he's promptly staked, rising from the coffin in one fluid motion like Nosferatu. Everyone looks up at him as he wrenches the stake from his heart and throws it, accidentally shattering a piece of the blacked-out window, letting a small sliver of sunlight in. As he advances on Peter, Charlie knows what he has to do. Fighting off Amy, he snags a small sculpture, smashing out the windows even more, allowing more sunlight in, and leaving Jerry with nowhere to hide. So, I guess this is what Seth Gecko was thinking of when they were at the Titty Twister. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right? I was like, that has to be a nod to this, and I had no idea. No, yeah. not at all. Even the... the beams and as they yes. yeah because yeah. i was watching it and i was like oh from dust till dawn yes. did this i was like that's okay i love it yeah yeah but peter begins to assist charlie the sunlight leaking in through every direction covering jerry who begins to smoke and shriek peter rushes to close jerry's coffin the small alcove of which is the only respite from sunlight jerry corners peter and begins to laugh but Charlie rushes to the rescue, removing the last window covering above the caskets, blasting Jerry with the sun, and sending him flying across the basement in a green blaze, striking the opposite wall and bursting into flames. I love that we got to see this three times in a row. Yeah. <laughs> well, I need an instant replay. <laughs> I did think it was funny that Billy like formatted this entire basement, but the the window above his master's crypt, he's like, I'll just put a drape yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> like, God Nobody's going to be down here. <laughs> but Jerry cries for Amy as he melts away, Charlie and Peter shielding her from the surrounding sunlight. A harsh wind erupts all around them as Jerry disintegrates, his flesh decaying and his vampiric skeleton exploding into a ball of fire before disappearing into a small burst of green smoke. This looks very cool. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why his skeleton's shaped like that. <laughs> <laughs> I did read that there was something that was planned for Ghostbusters. Yeah. That kind of included a skeleton like this and was deemed too scary for that movie. Yeah, well, the thing that I watched had said that they were going to use this bat skeleton. Okay. And they were, because there is a ghost librarian at the beginning of the movie. Okay. And they were going to use it for that. And I guess once the librarian transforms and then it's like, but they did, they said that it was too scary. And then just used it for this? Yeah. Even though Jerry doesn't look like that? Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> but Charlie and Peter rise to their feet, lifting Amy to hers. She's returned completely to normal, even her haircut. Yeah. <laughs> and as triumphant piano plays, the three of them hug, alive and victorious. We cut to the outside of Jerry's house at night, the camera gliding over to Charlie's window, just as it did at the beginning of the film. As we fade into Charlie's room, he and Amy are making out quite feverishly on his bed. A voice from the television they're watching proclaims, Look, we're going in a circle. We're right back where we started. Very good. That's that's yeah. really good. I do. I like the full circle moment, but I'm like, is, was there no fallout to Ed being dead in the living room when you when everybody yeah. got home? Oh, that's a good question. Well, we kind of learned something. Yeah. Yeah, but he's still a teen that is not where he's supposed to be. What? Is he not a parent? <laughs> well. Charlie just kind of breezed past it. <laughs> his room earlier. That's his house. Yeah, that's just where Ed lives, man. All right. But the broadcast cuts to an announcement declaring that this 
is Fright Night Theater. We watch as gates open on screen and Peter Vincent is introduced. He rises from a coffin, telling the viewer that he's back once more as host of Fright Night. Thrilled for him. Yeah. Love that for him. How did that happen? Here's the yeah. thing, dude. <laughs> there is no correlation no. between this station. They're like, oh, you yeah. slayed an yeah. actual... Oh, then Come yeah. Back. <laughs> or maybe Charlie reinvigorated everyone's <laughs> interest in vampire killers. I don't know. He got fired guess, for having no yeah. real life experience. <laughs> like, look, you got to kill at least one vampire <laughs> before we can even think about hiring you back. <laughs> But Peter says that he thought he'd get the vampire's rest for a while. And as the camera presses in, he asks, with a wink, right, Charlie? It's a very small audience for that. Yeah. Yeah. But Charlie and Amy smile and cuddle, the only people in the world who get that reference. And they continue to kiss as Peter introduces the science fiction horror film, Mars Wants Flesh. And he laments the fact that he doesn't star in it. So I guess we're, you know, maybe that was the deal. He's like, we'll show some sci-fi stuff from time to time. Yeah. yeah. It's like, it doesn't have to be all my movies, yeah. <laughs> all my vampire <laughs> movies all the time. Once a month. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, um, I read about an alternate ending where it's the same thing. Peter Vincent's on TV and they're making out in the bed, but on the screen, he says something like, um, what vampires look like. And I know what vampires look like. They look like this and then he turns into a fucking vampire on the tv yeah Yeah. and amy and charlie are just fucking watching it but (laughs) i know it doesn't make any sense unless like i don't know we're supposed to believe that somewhere in all the madness he got bit but well and all i mean but no even when he was struggling with the bat charlie yeah. got bit yeah yeah that's true and nobody that never that doesn't matter. <laughs> get past it don't worry about yeah. it <laughs> but this is a much better ending for peter and right. he earned it for sure but when charlie goes to shut off the television the window at the old dandridge place catches his eye and he peers over with worry at the sight of two glowing eyes. Amy asks him if there's something wrong, and after staring over at the empty house, calmness returns to him, and he tells her that nothing is wrong. There there was something yeah. there, though. Yeah. Like, we all saw that. <laughs> yeah, but, dude, you're going to be dealing with that for a while. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm not going to believe anything my brain tells me. <laughs> but your brain was right. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm still, that's trauma. Yeah, yeah. that is trauma. But Charlie jumps back onto the bed and embraces Amy in joy and peace. But the camera presses in once again on the window, and the two glowing eyes return. A maniacal laugh pierces the night as Evil Ed's voice cackles. Oh, you're so cool, Brewster. We fade to black, and the credits roll. So, what did you guys think of Fright Night? I, I did enjoy this movie. This was pretty cool. The effects were all great. Um, I just just a lot. Of, there's some questions, uh, some things. Um, why the cross worked with Ed, but it didn't work with Jerry. <laughs> um, and yeah, his death looked cool, but it was there was no damage. There was no aftermath. There was he just a poof and green, yeah. and he was gone. Nothing. No scorch marks. No anything. So. How do I believe you or how do I like I just it felt very kind of um I don't know if I was expecting the house to like implode on itself or something but I mean I was yeah, kind of expecting some, a bigger bigger reaction for the head vampire to be 
taken down. Well, in all fairness, I mean, his death did feel like poltergeisty. Yeah. Yeah. And the house did disappear in poltergeist. Yeah. I will say, to your point, it's very odd that this broke the spell, the vampire's curse for Amy. Yeah. But Ed's still fucked. Yeah. not only did we see Ed die, yeah. yeah, so he shouldn't be back in any capacity, Mm-mm. but he's still a vampire. Yeah. yeah. So I don't understand the ending for Ed at all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's a cool line to... Uh, it's go- a great, it's great. Oh, no, yeah. But- and, and lead us into the song by the Jay Giles band. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Yeah. No, it doesn't. And I know we've said it too, but like we didn't watch this when we were younger. Mm-hmm. So maybe if we watched it when we were younger a lot, then maybe we could forgive or make excuses for a lot of this. But watching it now, and it's like, holy shit. And again, I know it was 85 or whatever, but her being, what, 17 and then this yeah. dude being a grown-ass vampire, it's like, <laughs> he should know better. <laughs> You know, <laughs> he should know a little better. He was there when all these laws were passed. Yes. Oh, yeah. no. Yeah. He's seen it. Um, <laughs> but it is a good movie. It's a fun time. And if that's that's exactly what it was set out to do, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have liked some a little more silliness, maybe. You know what I mean? Um, but he's a very fucking suave vampire. And I love that they st- stuck to the lore and keeping it with all of that. Mm -hmm. Uh, It did help the movie a lot. Um, But again, I feel like it's just a tad too long and uh, just those issues, you know what I mean? There's just, I think that's kind of what kept me from fully letting it bite me. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No, I, I completely agree. There's so much to love about this. But that's kind of what makes the disappointing parts or what is lacking hurt that much more, if that yeah. makes sense. Visually, the effects are fucking fantastic. Like I said already, the performances, especially um, Stephen Jeffries. Yeah. yeah. He really, he, above and beyond. Mm-hmm. I think that he did a fucking fantastic job. Of course, Chris Sarandon. Um, it's just it's there is no weak weak link as far as the cast. Yeah. For me, it is a little bit of issue with pacing, um, more of an issue with um, motivation of characters okay. and a the biggest issue with just like plot holes and added stuff that you could tell was tacked on that does not give any kind of satisfying resolution and it doesn't add anything to the story that's being told yeah and i just don't understand what's happening with that at the end no i'll be honest (laughs) i think that the end is cool that him him yelling that out like that is a great line to go out on don't understand why it's happening and i guess that's just gonna have to be okay yeah (laughs) i uh, i don't have an answer i do know that there is a sequel Mm -hmm. and there was gonna be i read okay oh right this is off topic but it blew my fucking mind they did the second fright night Uh uh-huh and roddy mcdowell agreed to do it if he if they gave him permission to convince tom holland to do a third one so they were like yeah okay so he and tom holland are supposed to meet with a producer who i guess through the time that had passed gained ownership of the rights okay so 
two weeks before they meet with the producer named Jose Menendez. Yes. He what? is murdered by his sons, Eric and Lyle. Yeah. I was like, this is not true. Get this the is not fuck true. Out of here. It's fucking true. Is that not the craziest shit you've ever I was like, there's <laughs> this is what it's like when worlds collide. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, whenever I saw because I saw Tom Holland say this in an interview. Yeah. When he said it, I my jaw dropped. Yeah. Cause you I mean, I never in a million years would you connect anything. No. Yeah. And it's just it's wild to even consider. That's and then nuts. you remember, oh my god, that was his job. Yeah. yeah. I'm I I just I was completely floored. Um <laughs> but the Menendez brothers, that's a whole yeah, other conversation. Yeah. But uh yeah, that's wild. So uh, a third one didn't happen, but then they remade it. They remade it in 2011. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then they did a sequel to the remake, which is more of a... Just I don't another know. remake, right? Yeah. yeah I, I don't know what it is. I, I read either. that it was just another remake, but kind of set a little different but it's basically the same shit with none of the cast from either yeah no no anything yeah Yeah. uh, it's confusing so that makes me like curious to watch them but also like should i watch them yeah i don't know i don't know but i just had to share that about the the connection because that i i was like there's no way that this is real yeah Mm -hmm. like my brain is like bullshit (laughs) but um anyway back to what we're talking about uh it is really good i think that i was expecting it to be fucking awesome Mm -hmm. and maybe kind of like us doing the blob so um recently yeah maybe that is more like what i thought we would be getting than what we got okay not to take anything away from this because it is a really good time and you can tell that everybody worked so hard and everybody does a great job Mm -hmm. but narratively it just i have so many questions and they're just not going to get answered and that sucks yeah and i mean it it really is and there's so many things that could be done that could fix the problems we have narratively yeah i think that what we had mentioned uh earlier about the amy subplot thing not working Mm -hmm. what i said about his mom his mom is really sticking in my mind and i really think that that could have been another way to go yeah get rid of all all the weirdness yeah all this idea of like the reincarnation bit that doesn't even get explored yeah because it's it's not even saying i mean i don't even know if it's saying that she just looks like her like, yeah you know? i don't either i don't I, know i don't understand so i mean i want more of that or none of that yeah it's okay. just a weird thing to have just a little bit of and my stepdad is a vampire is also a really great goosebumps book title <laughs> yeah, yeah dude <laughs> and it honestly feels so 1985 oh, yeah. <laughs> like i would absolutely watch that movie and i mean it, it it's just i don't know there's so much good about this film mm-hmm. and you watch it and you're like oh i totally understand the reverence for it yeah, yeah. i totally understand the the legion of fans that it has and the reputation that it gets in the horror community completely yeah for sure but i think again like jp said it's a matter of not having having that nostalgic pull for it and also i mean when you do a show breaking down every single thing. Yeah. You kind of see these things that don't necessarily fit together. And I know that there's definite issues with the narrative. I know there's definite issues with the characters for me, especially Charlie. Charlie. Yeah. yeah. But um, I don't know. And just the, it's so interesting for them to adhere to so much of the vampire myth and then other things that they're like, well, I guess that's sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> if you get staked in the heart, it kills you sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody's everything all the time. Yeah, like dude. calm down. It's always exception. Jeez, what are you, Bram Stoker? <laughs> I didn't realize Bram Stoker was here. <laughs> 
But um, <laughs> uh, I guess that can lead us into ratings. Yeah. yeah. I mean, look, this this film is a ton of fun. Um, I really appreciate all of the performances, even if the characterization doesn't work for everyone. The characters of Evil Ed and Peter Vincent are fantastic. Mm -hmm. And I really would love if, you know, with the sequels, it'd be cool to explore that more. Yeah. But I don't know what they do. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I think that this is a real showcase for practical effects. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the things that they do, it's just really, really impressive. Yeah. The makeup of Jerry as a vampire. I mean, it's just, I think that's what it is. And especially, dude, geez, Ed's werewolf the situation. Wolf, yeah. yeah. That whole thing, that death scene, everything is just so not <laughs> what I expected from not this at film. All. And maybe that's also something is that I, I kind of expected a little more humor to be injected into it. Okay. And so I'm kind of torn because it's like, man, I really appreciate the respect that they paid towards vampires. Mm-hmm. But it's also like, man, this is a film from 85 called Fright Night. Yeah. <laughs> like, and let's... the setup. It's, yeah. it's very fertile ground yeah. for yeah. shenanigans. And I loved, I would have loved a little more ambiguity as far as the pacing is concerned, mm-hmm. where it's like, oh, 25 minutes in, we're like, no, Jerry's a vampire. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's not, yeah. And we have like 70 something minutes left of just Charlie being like, guys, yeah. please <laughs> believe me. <laughs> but um, I don't know. And also the other thing um, that bothers me about the Amy love arc thing mm-hmm is I'm way more interested in whatever is going on, this history between Jerry and Billy. Yes. Because I think this relationship is more fertile. There's more to discuss here. Yeah. And the fact of him dying and Jerry's reaction to it. Yeah. That's love. Yeah. It is. And if you really think about it, aside from when he pops back up at the end just to get killed, he is pushed aside after he's like intimidating Charlie, we really don't fucking see him again. <laughs> no. Oh, yeah. Until he pops up to get murdered. Yeah. So like he's present and then he's just fucking, it's like, nah, let's do this for a while. <laughs> <laughs> and also, I don't know what kind of monster Billy is. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know he's not human. No. I know that. <laughs> I know that enough. I don't. What kind of monster? <laughs> um, But I don't know. There, there's so much good and so much stuff that I would have preferred went a little differently. But I and again, it's it's one of those films that I think I will probably revisit and enjoy. It's just, I mean, it's it's a fun ride, and for me, I think that um, outside of that and it being a really cool showcase for special effects, decent, um, no, not decent, way better than decent performances. Oh yeah, yeah. fantastic performances. Um, it's not one that I would really, I don't even think I would really list it as one of my favorite vampire films of all time. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. But it is a lot of fun. And I mean, you know, I, I appreciate all the work that went into it. Oh yeah. yeah. But for me, out of 10 nightmare neighbors, it's tough. I think I, I think I'm going to give Fright Night 6.5 nightmare neighbors out of 10. I think the narrative difficulties and the pacing and the length of it yeah. kind of drag it down for me. If you cut this down to 90 minutes and you add some of these things and change some of the other things, this film is like an all-timer. Okay, yeah. yeah. But I will now open the floor to you. Uh, I think we kind of, you know what I mean, said 
whatever. And I, I think a lot. I think we all have the same issues with the movie because mm-hmm. everything is beautiful and it's great. And and I said it, and and even your sister said it. Everything here, I should love this movie. Mm-hmm. I should like be fucking in love with this movie. <laughs> yeah. But it's just it, it is that Charlie is hard to <laughs> like. Uh, Ed is Ed is cool, but even then, it's like, well, are you evil then, or are you like, are you his friend, or are you not? Yeah. And then and and Peter too, he's great. Uh, Jerry, they're all again, all the performances are fantastic. Mm-hmm. All the characters, I mean, they're you know, I just don't, I don't, I don't understand the inconsistency with some things. Mm-hmm. Um, and. I'm all for a goof or a, like, oh, you can see the cameraman in the reflection or whatever. <laughs> but there's a lot of things. That, Continuity. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, okay, if I can't notice most of them and one or two, I, there's a lot I you notice, even if you're just watching it. It's like, that, what the fuck? <laughs> you know what I mean? So it, again, but it, I can also see how this is fucking fantastic to people. Mm-hmm. Like, I get it. Yeah. Um. But I, again, for me, I'm a Lost Boys guy. You know what I mean? That's just, that's what I watched. And that's for me is like comfort. Mm-hmm. So I get it. But I think too, um, I'm going to be in the, in the same, uh, the same ballpark. You know what I mean? I'm not going to go too much further. So for me, on a scale of one to 10, Nightmare Neighbors, I'm going to give Fright Night 1985. Yes. Seven out of 10 nightmare neighbors i did enjoy the effects i loved the way the effects were everything looked fucking great it did and i love creature features that's great mm-hmm. you know what i mean um but i just it was it was just too much there for me to kind of like i said i i li- like you said i i'm in like with the movie mm-hmm. i really really like the movie but am I going to let it bite me? Probably not. You know what I mean? Maybe another time. Yeah. You know? Yeah, no, I completely agree. It, it It is a really good time. If you're trying to look anything deeper than the surface, it's where it falls apart. Mm-hmm. It did make me laugh, too. I can't remember which one of you said it when you were like, I don't think we ever see the mom again. We don't. Yeah, yeah that was it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the film almost gets distracted with certain things and yeah. it's like oh billy well whatever we'll deal with them later yeah. uh the mom no nah, fuck it, she's working yeah. it's like wait what like um you know and just like you were saying t some simple changes if we want to add a love arc or even a faux love arc where i'm just trying to fuck with this kid yeah the mom really does make a lot more sense mm-hmm. that being said loved Peter Vincent mm-hmm. loved Evil Ed. Yeah, loved Jerry Dandridge, his transformation and what he becomes. He mm-hmm. looks fucking scary. Oh yeah. yeah, you know the effects are really great. I really like Amy. Yeah, it's really just Charlie. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care for him. Um, but <laughs> we have some really interesting arcs, specifically with Peter Vincent. Mm-hmm. And I, like you were saying, I would love to see more between Jerry and Billy. Yeah. yeah. What was that about? Let's explore that a little bit more instead of shoehorning some really fucking weird subplot involving yeah. a teenage girl. It's just 
weird. Mm-hmm. As soon as he saw the painting and he went, Amy? Amy? And yeah. then never spoke of it again. Yeah. I was like, oh, this is bad. <laughs> this <Yeah>. is tacked <laughs> on. Um, I, I love that Tom Holland was so open to letting the people he was collaborating with have input and have a say and actually making those changes. But not all of them clearly needed to be made. Yeah. True. But yeah, it's a really good time. It is a visual treat. Um, I wouldn't even say that I wouldn't watch this again. I would definitely watch this again. But to echo your sentiment, it's not in my favorite vampire movies. This or The Lost Boys, I'm going to watch The Lost Boys. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, which is a really unfair comparison. But, you know, here we are. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but on a scale from 1 to 10, Nightmare Neighbors, I am also giving Fright Night. 1985 (laughs) seven out of 10 nightmare neighbors my score was a 6.5 and then i watched it again and it went up to a seven Mm. so i did enjoy it a little bit more the second time and maybe that's you know some movies you just have to live with for a little bit true yeah and like you were saying john paul nostalgia has to play heavy with this one yeah if you grew up with this i'm sure you fucking love it i'm sure i would fucking love it yeah but i I didn't. Yeah. No. I didn't grow up with it. And I also didn't love it. (laughs) (laughs) Makes sense. But look at all of us who are fucking, who love the, the hot buff saxophone guy. Yeah. From uh, Lost Boys. We're all like, oh, dude, yeah. I was more about the film, but. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm saying, even something silly like that. But if you watch it now, you're like, what the fuck? For people to hang on to, it's like, no, fuck, that's Lost Boys. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So I get it. I get it. But I do feel like th- you're right. This might have been something you needed to grow For up watching. For sure. So it's no thinner is what you're saying. It's no, no thinner. <laughs> <laughs> His masterpiece was yet to <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's all from us at Podmortem. What would you rate Fright Night and what should we watch next? Let us know on Twitter at the Podmortem. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and like our Sterile Productions page on Facebook. Be sure to follow each of us on Twitter at TravisMWH, at Blood and Smoke, and at RealStreeter84. Thanks again to Original Cinematic for sponsoring this week's episode. Please consider pledging to our Patreon and stay tuned until after the music for a special thank you to our Wendigo Gitter patrons. And remember, while we have no say in who lives next door to us, always do your best not to be a pain in the neck. Until next time. Thank you for staying tuned. We'd like to give a very special thank you to all of our Wendigo Getter patrons. Woo! Yeah! Very good. A special thank you to Chris Ontiveros, Kristen Lofton, Megan Martinez, Kimberly Bass, Sophie Hodson, Anthony Jerome M., Jordan Nash, Kent Morton, Lala Thomas, Travis and Nisa Hunter, Miguel Myers, ATX, Jennifer Perez, Allison O'Neill, Carissa, TJ and Angie Bronson, Gabrielle Trevino, Spooky Mom, Applin Ontiveros, Karima Rhodes, Antonio Huerta, Kimberly Kleindienst, Will Brown, Sydney Smith, Osvaldo Soto, Bobby Holmes, Donna Eason, J.D. Rizak, Molly Gerhardt, Armand Spasto, Aaron Aguirre, Eggy, William Barry, Brittany Ramatar, Charity Oxner, Amanda Six, Mandy Rainwater, Jordan Roberts, Dylan, Melissa Sierra, Holly Bryan, Jordan Blevins, Liz Heath, Spencer Montalvo, Pancake the Panda, John Ramos, Michael Newding, Alexis Roberts, Dan Laveau, 
Itzy M, Gary Horton, Leisha Olivier, Kate Lamp, Carlos and Sydney, Jessica Hunter, Helena Rudder, Alan Johnston, Mariah, Livy Fun, Mandy M, Scott Troutman Wise, Towton Watson, Mozzie Bear, Brittany G, Dave Burke, Adrian Stakes, Daniel McGinnis, Nick Spill, Emma Hagel Kissinger, Valerie G, Emiliana, Brian Glass, CB, Taylor Santana, Will Lewison, Angelique, Smelly Poo Poo Head, Beth Bauer, Cookie, Esperanza J, Jason Kyle OKC, Joshua Rumley, Danielle Peralta, Brandon, Nicholas Carter, Sawyer Reese Farr, Dr. Diva Loves Horror, Girl That's Scary, Cassandra, Andrea Simmons, Ashley Hagetta, William and Zena Rush, Ryan Brom, Megan Ochoa, Laura Lassiter, Natalie de Guzman, Eileen O, Marissa E, Sydney, Henry F, Megan M, Strangely Sarah, Christy Beck, Nancy and Andy, Amanda Lopez, Andy Terrell, Jason Hanavan, Abigail Spitzer, Katie K, Erica Morin, Cameron S, Nicole Stewart, Tris Wynn, K.87, Mariah Jensen, Carrie A, Lonnie Lono, Powell, Kayla E, Maggie H, Fernando Dominguez, Murderstina, No Thanks Tom Hanks, Kevin McConagle, Kristen Marcy, Ori81 Boricua, Look Like That One Girl, Bog Boy, Felnes 63, Alita Pui, Probably My Jugs, Kate Thackeray, Wade Pack, a Lizard, Bay J, Jay Rich, Jen Lassiter, Topher Williams, Elena Mettler, Neil Chesen, Valerie Kay, Christy Lee Kruger, Professor of Humanities, Laura McCarricker, Naomi, Josh Smith, Autumn Green, Jess L, Heather Santiano, Abby Cop, Crystal831, Cassidy Carruthers, Skank Sinatra, Morgan Alexander, Tony Osteen, Julie Fredborg, Rihanna S., Daniel Taylor, Anna Kate, Heather Ortiz, Jen T., Kim H., Dana Cook, August, Vengeance Spirit, Sam J. Green, Kelly Glazyface Mac, Cindy Palmer, Jenny May, Zoe Marie, Glittery Fab, and Malik Caselli Armstrong. Hey! Hey! Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you all so much. Yes, thank you. We love you all, and I hope you all know, and I've never said this before, especially when covering a vampire oh, film, God. but you are all fangtastic. <laughs> <laughs> First time ever. Yeah. <laughs> Until next time. <laughs>